from the fabulous and famous Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel in Dublin, Ireland. You're listening to the award-winning What's the Story podcast. Now, here's your hosts, Danny Murray and Graham Merrill Merrigan. Hello and welcome along to chapter 43 of What's the Story podcast. My name is Danny Murray and Graham Merrill Merrigan joins me as always. Ah, how are you, Danny? I'm <laughs> fantastic. How are you? Good. Good. Glad to hear it, man. Glad to hear it. Sound like the Simpsons, a Simpsons newscaster or something like that. Troy McClure. <laughs> Kent Brogan. Yeah, Kent Brogan. Did you ever yeah. see that episode of uh, <laughs> what the Simpsons where uh, Kent Brogan goes, uh, an earthquake has killed 14 people in Koala, 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 France. Simpsons is deadly, isn't it? Old so, Simpsons, yeah, like. Yeah. Old Simpsons, the new ones. Um, I think ever since the movie, uh, it's gone a bit downhill. Um, I love looking at those uh, Simpsons Facebook pages where it's like Homer quotes. Yeah, I do be in a kink by by myself. Like some are absolute crackers. Oh, they're crackers. Um, but yeah, if you like the Simpsons and you want to stay in a hotel that has TVs, you should come to Fitzpatrick's <laughs> Castle Hotel. It's a great Segway. spot up here. It's a great spot up here. Uh, Fitzpatrick'sCastle dot com. <laughs> um, come up, have a bite to eat in the dungeon. Come up and have a bit of afternoon tea. Come up and enjoy the library bar. Just enjoy the, the, the pianist. Yep, the pianist. Um, the views, the 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 nice bit of gardening in the summertime. Bit of swimming. Bit of swimming. Yeah, you come up and join the gym, lads. Get healthy, get active, get fit this summer. Loving it. Healthy body, healthy mind. All that jazz. All that stuff. All that goes, and then treat yourself to a cheat meal in the dungeon. Loads, <laughs> cheat meal. Loads of chips. life is cheat meals. Loads of chips, steak with a uh, garlic butter. Apple tart. Oh, and a bit of apple tart. What's your favourite dessert? Have we talked about this we, before? We talk about this nearly every week. Oh, do we? We talk about desserts. I love every desserts, week, man. <laughs> desserts I think are we great. The Gary Mackle um, chapter, I think we spent about 15 minutes talking about desserts. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do remember. So, uh, and you do forget, week, though, don't you? We do. It's because we love the dungeon and we love Fitzpatrick so much. <laughs> So uh, Fitzpatrickscastle.com, check it out, pop up, bring the family, it's great crack all together. Check out their Facebook page as well. Yeah, exactly. Loads of deadly offers. Yeah, share this, uh, share that, like this, like that, win this, win that, do it. Yeah, celebrating 45 years in May. 45 years. I thought it was that older. Well, the castle is, but the hotel's not. Yeah, I thought it was older. Like the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the castle's like since the 1700s, like. Deadly. Yeah. Was it actually a castle? Yeah. Deadly. Well, probably a country house and then it became a castle kind of thing. Okay. We'll find out. Do you know what? We'll find out and we'll talk about it in a later chapter. Yeah. We'll do a little bit of a history recon for you. But, um, yeah, look, uh, house, the, oh, ho, ho. <laughs> Graham, we have a guest waiting, but before we talk to him, it's time for a little something I like to call housekeeping. Da, 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 da. Oh, will you do that every week? Okay. Let's see what the listeners think of that, actually, and if that, if that can be a jingle. Change the jingle. Yeah, we used to do that, too. Remember back in the days when we used to be... Jazz like, hands. Jazz hands. Remember we used to do, uh, in that, what you call it, elite gym place. That yeah. they used to be, it used to be very drafty. Yeah, yeah, freezing. Like, we're, co- we're in May now, Graham. And I came in to, the, to our new studio, our new home here in Fitzpatrick's, and you had the heat and blaring. Bleeding freezing, man. Man, it's roasting. It's hailstones today. Yeah, but it's roasting. It's not, man. My, no, it's not. I was in the car, Baltic, man. Did you turn the heat on the car? Yeah, it was freezing. What's wrong with you at all? Like? I don't know. Man, I know. Starving. Did you not have dinner before you came no, over? No, I forgot. No? Pop down to the dungeon and grab a bite to eat. <laughs> yeah, we'll be back in a sec. 
What did you get? <laughs> oh man, I just had a steak. It was did massive. Oh, I thought you'd go for the dungeon burger. That's a beauty. Is there such things as dungeon burger? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> there is now. <laughs> if not, they should they should definitely have one. Um, yeah, um, it's, yeah, summer, man. It's May. It's officially the summer. Yeah. Well, the the, the temperature well on and rise. Yeah, like in terms of like seasons and how all that sort of stuff goes, technically. It's the summer. Yeah. <laughs> the weather and we disagree with us a little weirdo. But, uh, yeah. Absolute skits are weather. Baltic. Baltic carry on the other day when it was I, snowing. I um, collected my bro from work up at Leopardstown Racecourse the other day. Yeah. And when I left, I had the sunglasses on, looking cool as fuck. Then when I picked them up, it was just hailstones. Yeah. It's like, what the hell? Brilliant carry on out of you. Crazy. Yeah. Do you love, you, would you be a summer parent? Like, would that be your favourite? Yeah, summer? I love summer. I love the late nights. I love the the bright nights. The bright, yeah, yeah. I love. I I know with I noticed the tourists over the years when they get to Ireland in the summer, they never realise that like it stays bright till half ten. Particularly Australians, yeah, it never gets bright. It's like because it doesn't get bright. It, it goes dark over there at six o'clock all year round. Really, even the summer. Yeah, that's because yeah. they're southern, isn't it? It's yeah. It's, yeah. And they've, the they've tried the to vote for daylight saving, the farmers and all in Australia. Mm. They've just continuously voted against it. But I remember talking about... Daylight savings is a myth, man. It's a myth. With the farmers? Everything. Daylight savings is a myth. They have they have a referendum every 20 years or something in let, Australia. Let, let them have it. It's a myth. But I remember them stepping out of a pub and saying, what the hell is going on here? It's Why still is it bright. Right? Yeah. yeah. I love all that. I used to love it as a kid because I used to be able to stay out later. That was that one out somewhere. My mum say, don't come in at eight, come in at nine. Yes, yes, and yes. Then, uh, yeah, yes. And then uh, when I finished school and I was on my summer holidays then, go on, I stay out till 10. I thought I was the business yeah. man. Staying out till 10. I was the coolest kid in the block, man. But Everyone else will say till half 10. It's all right. It's all but right, the man. thing was in the summer when you were like, say from 9 to 14, 15, yeah. like you'd get up at 9 o'clock in the morning to go out with your mates. I used to. Right. You, Did were, you? you were that annoying friend calling around hotels <laughs> at 10 o'clock in the morning. I, no, I was the, the one. Lay, I lived in my granny's till I was about 15. Right. In, in Wideville. Yeah. And uh, my friends, the O'Sullivans, would knock on the door about half nine. My granny would be trying to get me up. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm not getting up. But they'd be the annoying friends knocking. Oh. But you'd end up going out and you'd be playing football. You'd be. Just felt like the longest day in the world if it was a. Great. Nice summer's day. Yeah. I, then you'd be staying. You'd be playing tip the can till about half ten at night, oh, taking your deadly. You see, yeah, uh, this is this is where the different parts of the bracket come through. Mm. On Laurel Avenue, it was fifty-two bonkers. It wasn't tip the can. None of none of that cool even, cool even slang coming across to this side of the dual carriageway, man. Over the dual, yeah. Over the the, the void. <laughs> Fif- <laughs> Our goats. Yeah, yeah. Our British bulldogs. Um. Yeah. Play that in like I always remember playing that on a Sunday in the summer. <laughs> that was your Sunday game. Yeah, wasn't that it? was the Sunday game. Um, like Monday to Thursday in the evening was always goats, and you, yeah, you'd be you'd you'd split the teams up and all. There'd yeah. be lads hiding on sheds and roofs and, and apple trees and all. Deadly. Yeah. Oh, no summer man. Never the orchard. Oh yeah. And I I I don't think I ever actually robbed the vicar's orchard. The vicar's orchard. Yeah. Where was that? The, the vicar the, down where that new housing estate is across road from Glen Island. Oh, the, oh geez, Dava Park. Dava Park. Remember his guy? Yeah, now that. Jesus, what was his name? Can't remember. Oh, someone will tell us he's listening. Yeah. He used to drink up the Ramblers and all. 
Probably did, and then you come home and see a load of lads fleecing his apple trees and go mental. Jeez, I remember that. Yeah. That gaff. Gas, man. And uh, what else? There's loads of stuff from when you were a kid, like. But, uh, I completely forgot about the house where Dava Park is now. Yeah, yeah, so you remember that. There's a real old kind of country house yeah, with yeah, loads yeah. of land. Yeah, and then I had the shitty tree stories just out <laughs> <laughs> What must he have been oh, thinking? Man, I'd say he used to have Roman fields and think, you know what, this is life. And then the girls came along like, right lads, build them high and build them fast and don't give a shit about it. And Lord Avenue came along. And your mum was like, what in the name of Christ is this? It's very random for a, um, for Ballybrack to have a house like that with a bit of land around, isn't it? Probably not, because back in the day it wouldn't yeah, have been. Yeah, but you know it, I mean? it was the kind of, I suppose it was the last kind of country house and, and land yeah, before may, the yeah. council estates came in. Maybe, yeah, or the private houses. I'd love to know what your man's name was and Actually, what did no, he do. Actually, up the donkey wall as well. That was he a vicar? Then. We used to, well, we called it the vicar, so I presume, I hope he was, or else we just called him a vicar for the crack. Jeez, I'd love to know a bit more. Somebody will tell us. Somebody, yeah. somebody with a better memory in a little bit more years. Yeah. If you're of a certain vintage, you'll know what we're talking about. But I use, I, um, apple trees up in Moidville. Yeah. I got up and I launched up on a wall from my wheelchair. Thought I was mad trying to climb a tree and fell. <laughs> I got caught in the tree. You did not. I was did upside you? down. Oh, the tree. Brilliant. One of the lads da had to jump over the wall and get me. Brilliant. While the night, while the people who owned the gaffer having their dinner in the dining room, just watching. Just no, they didn't. They did. They were oblivious to what was going on. That was brilliant. Yeah, it was a fierce crack. Um, I think I broke my ankle, but I couldn't feel it. <laughs> <laughs> it ballooned Love up it. a bit. Love it. Summers yeah. are great, man. Summer's as a child, great. we used to. Uh, we we myself and the lads used to have a habit of uh, of a Saturday during the summer. Go down to Dunleary. Do the same thing every week. Walk around the shopping centre like a load of yabos. <laughs> go across road to Music City. Have a bit of a debate. Burger King or McDonald's? Burger King or McDonald's? Ritz? Ritz? Mac- McDonald's? Bur- Burger King? Lido? <laughs> Graymo? Sullivan? What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. Uh, we'd have that and then uh, we would walk home and done And we'd go to Scenic Group. So not up to Noggin Hill. We'd go down through Glass Hill, through Docky. Used to, this, this is pathetic, but we used to spend about two hours at Collymore Harbour if the tide was out. There was this stone that had a perfect square. It was a perfect square with a divot in it. So you throw lob stones down into that st- into that sort of hollow square, rock-like. Deadly. For about two... No, it wasn't. When you think about it. They must have been like, what are them special kids doing? Just, <laughs> just repetitively throwing pebbles in and then celebrating one every 40 pebbles. Like. <laughs> but yeah, you used to walk home and you go up by the edge of Scaff. Over the Voigo. From Dunleary? Yeah. Down Bono's. Down Bono Saturdays in Dunleary were deadly, weren't they? He used to love it, man. He used to love it. Dunleary's dead now. God bless her. Yeah. There's, there was a, there's a few clips on Facebook doing the rounds. Some lad... Um, driving from Baker. Driving. Yeah. Center. He's had yeah, two you know. or three clips. There's another clip from the the the, the roof kind of, of Dunleary Shopping Centre. Yeah. Kind of video and just recording people below him. Used to love that when I was a kid. My dad used to lift me up so I could look. We used to park on the the roof of the shopping centre. Yeah, and he'd lift me up so I could look out and see like all the boats and all. Remember, remember the the the, the, the JFK. Oh, JFK! Yeah, the JFK boat came. Yeah. And all the sailors and all, all the babies are made. I was going to say, and there was a population boom in the border. <laughs> yeah. Everyone was wondering where the hell did all the black babies come from? And yeah, all the girls are going around saying it wasn't Georgie Borges; it was an American sailor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, yeah, the JFK. Remember that. And it was too, uh, it was too big to dock in Dunleary, so they had to dock like out in the bay, mm. and then they'd all get shuttled in on little mini 
boat. I got a Delhi JFK poster and all. I went down that day. Yeah, I was there for a week, was it? I think it was there for a couple of days. There was a big carnival and all. Yeah, yeah. It was mad. It was there for the 4th of July, definitely, wasn't it? Definitely there for the 4th of July. Definitely there for the 4th of July, man. Was it? I am at least 47% certain it was there. I'm going to have to check that. <laughs> what are you? 47% certain. 47%. <laughs> I'm going to have to check. Cause yeah, we can, yeah. Because um, something's telling me August, September. Something's telling me we were in school. But I could be completely wrong. Uh, JFK, ship. I don't think we were in school at all. Because I think I had a Spanish student at the time. Really? Were the students around? I'm almost certain. Now, again. Oh, you were right. Oh, get in there. What, where did, what one did you say? Oh, he said 4th of July it was there. Well, it was July 1996. Yeah, so. Yeah, I think I'm right. It doesn't say the actual day. Because there was a lot of fireworks and all that, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. A few of us went to Cliney Hill and all. That was deadly. Yeah. Great fun altogether it was. But yeah, summers are deadly. Low summers, man. Curbs. Oh, you oh, man. Curbs. That love corps. You don't see that anymore, don't you? Know? You know, or, or there was always the one where that wasn't. There. Or do you want to get a pats? No, pats. I want to get a corps. Who the hell called the pats? Ah, little ticks called the pats. Do you know in Moyville the oyster never came up? Why? I think it's because it was a private estate. Was it patty oyster? There was no oyster. Never patty oyster. Yeah, mind that child. Pat and was John the other oyster? I think, th- yeah, I think there were the two rivals. John always used to give me free stuff. I never seen a two of them having a fight, a tour for. No, you didn't. Down at the shop van, I swear to God. And then Steve Davis came along, battered both of them and said, this is my turf, bitches. Deadly up the shop van. Only joking, that never happened, but it made great fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? That would have been deadly. Yeah. Make a great film. Remember he used to sell uh, cigarettes individually? And that's how half of Laurel Avenue got started smoking. No way. Yeah, give us a... Uh, Pat did? Yeah, give us two... John Player Blue there, Pat. Oh my god. And, and a screwball, please. <laughs> That's Great hilarious. But yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, what else happened this week, Graham? This week. Oh, of course, the the big obvious one. Hillsborough. Hill, oh the yeah, the justice. Justice for the ninety six. I suppose look, great result. If but if such a thing can be said. Long, long overdue, ridiculous. Twenty seven years, man. Twenty seven years and look Maggie um, Thatcher the wagon. It doesn't matter what football team you sport, it doesn't matter what Walk slash whale of life you come from. It's just, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it, it's it's good to see stuff like that happen. People who have been fighting for so long finally getting what they knew was the truth all along. Like. Yeah. So, uh, look, stay strong, lads. And So they, they've won now, it's over, isn't it? No, no. The, the people have to be brought to, it was ruled unlawful. Unlawful killings, like. Unlawful, yeah, but yeah. they were cleared. The people, the. The, 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 the people, the 96. Oh we're yeah, cleared. so all that, all that stuff that the sun printed about them, pickpocketed and pissing on one another, yeah. and that disgusting stuff that the sun printed, all that was completely false, completely fabricated, and disgustingly wrong. So I'd love to see, um, I'd love to see the same energy Irish people seem to put in for the the Hillsborough Justice for the ninety six. I'd love to see people put the same energy into the Stardust tragedy in our town because those people are still looking yeah, for justice. Still. Um, so Is maybe that 30, 34 years now? Um, oh, God, I actually don't know. I don't know either. I must check that. I, I th- it's, it's a good while, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it is quite a while. And again, yeah, you're dead right. It's another one that... And, and by, by the way, it's not a criticism. I'm just I'm just saying it's it's very hard to, I suppose... Um, 1980, 14th February 1981. 81. It's very hard. 
like the, if you're going to nitpick at things like that you know picking campaigns to get behind and support you'd be there all day because there's so much all, all i'm saying is that it's it, it, they're similar t- type of tragedies yeah in a way I, I know exactly what you mean but <sighs> like thatcher the wagon had a lot to say mm. about that about the people of liverpool she basically yeah, I know. I the know. people of Liverpool were excommunicated I from, I by Thatcher. I don't want to give Thatcher the time of day. No, either do I. Wagon. Um, I'll say that. But Hoi yeah. had a lot to do, had a lot to say about the Stardust and compensation being paid to the owner of the, the Stardust nightclub. Do you know what I mean? So there's yeah. there are similarities. So try and get behind the Stardust, the, the, the families of the Stardust tragedy. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Ultimately, just a shock. And well that. done to, to to the people of Liverpool because yeah, some absolutely. great scenes were coming out of Liverpool this week. Absolutely, look, justice should prevail. Justice was prevailed. Yeah, it took far too long, but yeah. fair play to them. Exactly. Um, I don't want to say it's slightly more positive news because that is positive news that uh, they finally got an element of the justice. But mm. um, that's where I'm going, Graham. What? UFC 200. You. You were going anyway, weren't you? Oh, well, yeah, well, so long as I got to... Look, I have Vegas booked for a couple of months now, but I have the tickets in my satchel. So I'm heading along, I can't wait. Deadly. So, we yeah, knew look, We knew the king wasn't being going to be reinstated. Yeah, look, I mean, obviously, look, we love McGregor, and I would have loved to have seen him fight and all that, but if I'm being 100% honest and truthful, I kind of like the idea of seeing John Jones fight Daniel Cormier more so than I like seeing McGregor fight Diaz again. Mm. If it was McGregor fighting Aldo or McGregor fighting Frankie Edgar, I'd be way more disappointed. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd, I'd be on the same wavelength. Um, at the same time, because it's the anniversary show, I think Connor should be on the show. Yeah, I do agree with you there. I think it's a little bit disappointing for the UFC and for MMA fans that the two biggest stars in the shape of Ronda and Connor aren't going to be on that. Yeah, card. I'm sure Ronda, you know. Ronda was probably offered it. Yes, yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't, I don't really know. Um, all I know for definite is that. Yes, I'm disappointed neither of them will be on it, I suppose. But, that being said, I'm quite happy with the card itself. Ah, stop the cards. Foy fans, MMA fans, uh, have a lot to be excited for between June, uh, May, June, July. Ah, stop now. UFC 198, UFC 199 and UFC 200 are Arguably just... Arguably three of the greatest cards. Crazy so, cards. Like, UFC now, let, let, they're, they're, let's see how many fights actually happen because well, we all yeah. know about the injuries. But I mean, look, just to give people an idea of this, UFC 198, which is one that's taking place in Brazil, is basically a who's who of Brazilian legends, right? Shogun Rua versus Cordy Anderson, uh, Chris Cyborg versus Leslie Smith, so Cyborg making our UFC debut. You've got Jack Ray Souza, Vitor Belfort, Anderson Silva, Uriah Hall, and then the heavyweight title on the line, Fabrizio Verdun versus Stipe Stone Cold Miocic. Unbelievable. That's a beast of a card. Chris Cyborg? That is an unbelievable card, man. UFC 199, then. Dustin Poirier, Bobby Green. You've got Dan Henderson, Hector Lombard. Looking forward to that fight. Who'd you say? Dustin Poirier and... Bobby Green. Oh, yeah. And Then you've got Max Holloway versus Ricardo Lamas. Max Holloway will destroy him. It's going to be a great him. fight. Max Holloway will destroy him, man. Dominic Cruz, Uriah Faber. Who's not looking forward to that fight? Looking forward to it. And then Rockhold versus Weidman, too. I love both of them. Let's hope Weidman doesn't throw spinny shit. I can't call it. I love both of them. I think if Weidman didn't throw spinny shit in the first fight, he probably would have won. won, yeah. And then 200, man. Look at this for a fucking card. Like, look at it. Johnny Hedricks, Kevin Gastelum. This is the main That's, card, though. This, the this the prelims are good. Sorry, these are just the, the... Yeah, I mean, like, the prelims, the 200 has Katz and Gano on it alone. That's good enough And Sage and Orko. And Sage and Orko. Or is yeah. it Sage on the main card? Uh, no, he's on the no. prelims. Like, right. Johnny Hendricks, Kevin Gastelum. 
Meh, all right, yeah, I could take a fall from Grace or Johnny Hendricks. Big time fall from Grace. Cain Velasquez, Travis Brown. I'm hoping Travis Brown, Brown beats uh, Cain Velasquez. Misha versus. What's your mouth? What? Do you not like Cain? How can you like a man who has a racist tattoo on him? Brown pride. Does he? Big, huge brown pride tattoo on his chest. Like, if I had white pride on my chest. <laughs> I never knew this. Imagine you had white pride. No, but I think that's a fair point. It is. I just never knew he had a tattoo. How would you miss it? Yeah. Don't thing. look at his body. You was saying cross the entire chest. Brown pride. If I had white pride tattooed anywhere on me. I keep thinking you have white lightning. Oh, white lightning. I love that fan. Well, what's the rest? One, one day I'll share white lightning stories in the podcast. Sorry, Misha Tate, Amanda Nunes. I love Misha Did Tate. Did you see Misha Tate the way, at the face-off last ah, week? Listen, listen. Oh, she's unbelievable. It's a, but that's not just why. I, I actually just love her as a fighter, as well as the fact that I think she's like a 10. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But like when I got to see her fight Ronda, it was amazing. Like being there for that. And yeah. Then when we seen her win the belt. Oh, I wasn't there for oh, that. Oh, sorry. But yeah, you know. Splash. Yeah, I, I did see her get tapped out by Ronda, though. Then you've got Jose Aldo versus Frankie Edgar. He was not looking forward to that fight. I hope Frankie batters him. Frankie, I hope, does actually batter him, yeah. And then, Daniel Cormier, John Jones. John Jones, I hope, batters him. It's weird, man. From the first round I fought, I was completely in Cormier's I hope John Jones makes it to July 9th, for God's sake. I hope Cormier. He was only fucking stopped by the police in, in, in Albuquerque three weeks before his fight is returned, like... For he's drag racing. He's a bit of a mad thing. Get a grip, will you? He's a bit of a mad thing. Um, but, yeah, I am really looking. The smack talk alone for that fight is going to be hilarious. Yeah. Um, but They're all yeah. sacked cards, but you yet they feel so empty without Connor. Yeah, I was going to say, it's so, <laughs> it's so weird that, like, that them cards alone are quality, but because of the attention that Connor has brought to everything, everybody's just like... Yeah. yeah, but you don't have Connor, do you? you know? And that'll show you how big a player in this game he is, how yeah. big a chess piece, really and truthfully. ESPN did an article saying that the UFC will lose $45 million from and from not having Connor on UFC 2. What's interesting is when Dana was asked that, he didn't deny that. Yeah. He replied with, I don't know, which is the bear to your hearing equivalent of saying, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to acknowledge it, but I'm not going to deny it either, so you can't pull me up on it. A minister for finance, but I don't have a bank account. Yeah, exactly. That, that type of work. That money was just resting in me account. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> but yeah, look, you'll see 200 July 9th. I'll be there. I'll be going to Britney Spears two nights before it. <laughs> can't wait for that. Deadly. I didn't know. I thought you were taking the piss saying you are going to Britney Spears. No, I am going Where's to Britney Spears. Where's she on? Planet uh, Hollywood. The Axis and Planet Hollywood, yeah. Deadly. And then I'm doing a, doing a road trip. Renting a big Jeep and we're going up the Grand Canyon. It's deadly. <laughs> it's gonna be class. It's gonna be deadly, yeah. I was gonna get like a, a little Renault Twizzy, but then it was like it's a five hour drive. It's not just for the novelty. If I was just driving up and down how the long, street. How long you, how long is the whole trip lasting? Um I'll be gone for eleven days. Deadly. Yeah, so can't wait, man. Can't wait. Myself and Cubes bombing around the place. Classic, <laughs> man. Be, be be deadly. I've got pins and needles in my foot, man. Oh, that's real sore. Will we talk to our guest? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, this is this is what housekeeping does, man. <laughs> anyway, that's it for this week's housekeeping. On to our guest. Right, we're delighted this week. Our guest is actor and activist John Connors, who you may remember as the man who killed Nidge. Or at least, we think, killed Allegedly. Nidge. Allegedly. No, that's been confirmed. He's killed. He is killed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the show's over as well. He's gone. Yeah, he's gone. Right. Um, and you may have also recently seen the I Am Traveller documentary on the RTE I Am series that me and Graham half... Semi 
featured in on. Oh yeah, we featured in the I Am Irish. Oh, yeah, I Am Irish one. Yeah. That was the worst one. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Yeah. We recorded ten minutes and we got ten seconds. About, no yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it, it was completely different to what we thought it was going to yeah, be yeah. in the it end. Was re- it was but. very uh, Irish hipster. I thought. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Kind of heard that. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I didn't. I was very insulted when I heard that. I am Irish because it was I am traveller. Yeah. Then I am immigrant. Then I am Irish. But then I'm thinking, sure, as a traveller, we're Irish. We're very proud to be Irish, as if we're yeah. not Irish. So who the made that? I well. want to know who made that. But that that's a very valid point, because yeah. when you're watching... And the, the immigrants, The too. immigrant one yeah. is... Uh, there's very poignant uh, scenes in it where the immigrants are very proud to be Irish. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the guys got a president in a local college or whatever. Yeah. That's a, I never even thought of that. Yeah, there sure, you go. So sure my girlfriend's an immigrant, technically. That was an Irish passport now, now, but like... She's Russian, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, there you don't go. Don't trust those Russians. <laughs> nah, they can be sneaky, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like Putin myself. Yeah. <laughs> He's mad that we spoke of him before on the podcast. Did you ever see some of his photographs on, on, on holidays and oh, all? Oh, his holiday photos. No. Like, Man, yeah. they're brilliant. Topless on a horse and all. Yeah. He, no. <laughs> he, they do. Do you know the way Russians are mad for, like, masculinity and yeah, this yeah. proper macho image? Like, yeah. So every year Putin goes on holiday and, like, the government controlled press publish Putin's holiday photos and it's like him like wrestling bears and riding Jesus topless Christ. on a horse trip. old school propaganda oh man <laughs> serious like like in a submarine going to the deepest lake in the world and Jesus. like just mad shit like, and you're like well I mean there's good and bad in every country but actually what's the documentary recently about um, about uh, gay and lesbian community in, in Russia yeah and oh my god like what they're going through right now would be very similar to what African Americans would have been going through during the civil rights movement down yeah. south. Like they're being beaten, like cut, stabbed, oh, yeah. killed, Crazy. murdered, yeah. and it's all getting taped, put on the internet, and everybody's loving it. Like the homophobia over there is just rife. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's part of the culture. Yeah, it's, it's for a lot of people, crazy. it is. I've seen, I don't know what the name of the documentary was. I forget it. But it was just, uh, it was hard hitting. Yeah, there's a lot actually in it, and I suppose there even what was that band? Um, Pussy Riot. Remember that band? Yeah, yeah. Um, even so, but even like House of Cards on Netflix, and that's huge. Even that referenced, yeah, it did. It's kind it did. Of, yeah, yeah, it did it very well as yeah. well. Mm. It did it very well, yeah. Yeah, so, I did. Yeah. I did see some YouTube clips on Twitter though of what you're talking about on on the train. Yeah, and there's just local uh, mobs just beating up gay, lesbian, yeah. black people. Yeah, like going to work, and some of them are getting charged, and uh, and they go to court and they just get thrown out every time they get thrown out. Mm. There's a lot in it as well. Like, th- like I suppose, like everywhere, there, there's good as well. Like, and there's people who are trying to actively campaign for course, e- yeah. equality and all. But there is a huge problem. There's one. Um, I suppose the only thing you get equate into would be kind of proper kind of. I don't. I don't even know. Actually, they wouldn't be the equivalent of kind of. You know, you know, like the the junkies out in town who come up and kind of ask for change and mm. and that kind of thing. Like, there's there's lads in cities in Russia called Gopniks, and they look kind of the equivalent of like a, a chav I suppose for want of a better word like and mm. um, so they'll wear the tracksuit and they'll wear runners and they, they all have this very specific look and they're very kind of it is a group like they, they'd be but they you can only be one after you've been in prison so it's slightly different from that sense it's not like a culture thing it's literally like this lad has been in prison he's joined his gang in prison and then there's a whole load of them on the outside as well like mm. they're terrible for like they're known for beating up people and especially targeting gays like um, so yeah. any happy stories 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, myself and Graham got married. Bloody lads, I've already asked. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that tracked a bit, didn't it? Yeah, that happens. That's always We happens. do that a bit. We get so we ah, tracked yeah. a lot, so. That yeah. anywhere. Graham's just knocking the microphone out and everything, trying Sorry. to drink water. You all right? Yeah, put on this. You <laughs> How are you, man? I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I'm good, man. Yeah, life is good. I'm very busy, but uh, I actually I'm, I'm looking for a little break now. Where I can just go mad for a week or so. Yeah, hopefully that's coming soon. But uh, look, I'm busy. Can't complain, you know. Brilliant, Thanks brilliant. for your time. Yeah, in the busy schedule, no problem at all. Fitting old saying we feel honoured by that. Yeah, yeah, well definitely. And um, so is it filming or is it? Yeah, yeah. I'm, well, I work part time anyway as a support worker, and okay. in between that, I'm trying to find time to do my documentary which is a few days a week so uh, a new documentary which is a three part series with RTE three one hour episodes oh, on please. Traveller history so that's been it's amazing after I Am Traveller that was a very sort of political edgy documentary mm. and sort of in your face and that's that was the style of and that's what I wanted to be whereas this is more cultural and, and, and about history yeah. and uh, I suppose showing where we came from where uh, these people that you've seen in I Am Traveller came from now it's a different filmmaker different crew Um but I'm kind of finding it's weird. I'm finding out things that I never even knew about my own history. You know, get yeah. into things and 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 kind of the the history of travellers since the Irish Free State was formed. Some really interesting stuff. Um, since the Irish Free State was formed, the Irish uh, the Irish State literally turned the travellers and targeted travellers uh, with various legal acts and and uh, and all different laws being passed that targeted travellers. Uh, and use and usage of propaganda, the same propaganda that was used against all of us collectively by right. the British. I give you an example. In 1925, they ran their first new, newspaper article where they painted travellers as a, in a drawn as beast as a beast with with a bottle of beer in the hand and and robbing something, which is the exact same propaganda would have been used 50, 60 years previous yeah, exactly, by yeah. the British for the Irish whole. So I'm learning I'm learning a lot of things like a lot of mind mind blowing stuff. Uh, but I mean, it's and there's DNA testing and DNA testing, which is which is like come like really fascinating stuff coming from that. Uh, Travers DNA getting tested, which is just blowing all the famine and Cromwellian sort of myths that that's her origin out of the water. So really, really exciting project, you know. Really, yeah. And have you got like a kind of date as to when that might air, or is it very much just? Yes, yeah, September. September. So yes, yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. going to air September. So we're finishing in around June. <laughs> They're editing as they go along, and then they'll continue editing for June, July. Yeah. August, and then I'm doing another documentary actually in uh, July in America for three weeks. Uh, two part documentary on the Black Lives Matter movement, Native Americans, Latinos, and Muslims. Brilliant, same filmmaker who did I Am Traveller. So I'm kind of lucky, then more films coming up and stuff like that. So, you're busy then, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. cardboard yeah. gangsters that's coming up, is it? Yeah, yeah, I just did finish the reshoot to that actually. Uh, a week ago, yeah, a week okay. ago, uh, it was like four months after the shoot. I had to lose loads of weight really quick again. I didn't even lose enough weight. You're going to see some some scenes with a big fat face, and the other scene with a less fat, less fat face. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but it's done now. It's a picture lock Thursday. It's going to be edited, and we're hoping to premiere it in Galway Film Flat in July, and then hopefully get it to the cinema by the end of the year. You know. And what's that about? It's about a group of young men who live in a working class area, Darndale, North Dublin, and they all sell weed. And uh, they kind of smoke the profits, and they're kind of lazy. And none of them have really any motivation. But the lead character Jay, who I play, uh, his mother's house is going to be repossessed by the banks, and he's under you know financial stress. And his girlfriend gets pregnant, and he comes up with a great idea to start selling heroin. 
Uh, and what happens is he ends up in the collision with the sort of main dealer from the area in the council estate who's been there for like 30 years. And there's a real, there's a history there with both of them, with both of their families. Uh, and it's sort of a, sort of kind of a social realist gangster film, you know, uh, yeah. showing you from the street level, not really the big highs of love, hate and whatever, kind of street level stuff, you know, yeah. gritty. Sort of. I was going to say, yeah, kind yeah. of the gritty side of it yeah. then, yeah, because... I suppose that was one of the things people used to say about Love Hate, wasn't it? That it almost glorified certain aspects of it. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, that actually sounds that sounds quite good as well, actually. So When's that due, Joe? Well, July hopefully premiere, and then hopefully by the end of the year it'll get some sort of cinema release. We kind of we have kind of an Irish cinema release sorted, more or less. Yeah. Uh, but we're trying to just, if it gets into a, the idea would be to get it to Galway and get it to a big international festival. Yeah. And then it has the best chance of an afterlife. But these low budget Irish films are a real struggle to get out there and for people to see. And, you know, Irish people don't want to see Irish films unless it's Brendan Gleeson or Colin Farrell or Fassbender in them. <laughs> so it's really hard to get them out there. But we're the opposite. We, yeah. 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 No, I, I would, I'd be going to see just low independent stuff all the time, you know. Yeah. It's what I like. But there's, there's kind of been a new wave of Irish film coming along. But I think that part of the reason why it hasn't and flourished is because we still live in a, con- a, a quite conservative country and if you look at the funding bodies and everybody involved a lot like if you go back to the French New Wave and Italian Neil Arenas uh, stuff there was people really people on the business side of things that were funding that were creative thinkers as well mm. but you have ultra conservative kind of business minded people who are giving out the funding in this country so you haven't the right kind of filmmakers or the filmmakers I'd like to see flourish haven't got the chance to flourish you know I think you were in um, New York recently, were you, yeah. um, at a that? film festival, mm. a friend of mine, Steve, Steve Gunn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Steve, yeah. yeah. Steve over there, we had a great crack over yeah, there. Yeah, I told him you were coming on this week, and he says, mention, the, mention New York. That's right, yeah, no, we went over there for a little short I'd done called today, uh, I'd done with Tristan Hino, and I was set down on letter frack, uh, it was about uh, a dub who woke up in the middle of Connemara after a drug and drink binge after trying to commit suicide and in the middle of that binge he rang his ex and blamed her for everything so he wakes up the next morning and has to deal with the aftermath of that and it was just you know examining some very serious issues you know and suicide is something i know a lot about my father committed suicide and in i know as a country we hit way above our weight with suicide rates yeah. but in my community it's even higher it's six times higher than the national rate so it's like an epidemic 11 percent of travelers die through suicide so when he came to me with the idea i thought it was brilliant got on board done it and the weirdest thing was uh, it was set in letter frack because he's from letter frack my grandfather was in the industrial school in Letterfrack. So I went down there and stayed there for a few days. Kind of a weird mood down there. I was The, the character was an alcoholic, so I said, we'll go out and have a bit of a session for the week. And I was drinking putchine with all the fellas up there. They're like cowboys up there. They're mad up there. Great crack, though. <laughs> and uh, I ended up visiting the, the, the industrial school, which is now a furniture college. And I goes in and I, I, I grabbed a book that was in there because I told him someone, a couple of people belonging to me, me cousin as well, uh, came here. So he said, there's a book of people who come by and they do, they do little uh, signatures or stories or in case someone else comes back. Do you want to see if any of your family did it at some point or if someone did it about your family, you can go back and tell your grandfather if they're looking to get in touch with anybody. You know, they leave their address or number, mm. people who were in it before. So I went looking through and the weirdest thing, I seen my cousin came back years later and he said, this place was like living in hell, he said. But he said, if you were a traveler, it was much worse. He says, I hope God forgives them for what they've done, because I never will. I was just like, Phew. But the weirdest thing was, it put me way down, way down. But it helped for the character, because yeah, yeah. I, 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 the character was all about that then. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So kind of, these weird little things happen on set sometimes with projects, when you get the rub the green and everything kind of 
happens and that kind of happens. So we screened it in the Crackfest over there with Terence Mulligan in New York and had a great screening. And we stayed on for the week and got to just go all around New York, man. We stayed in Brooklyn, Loft Apartment. It was just brilliant, amazing place. Like, uh, Jesus Christ, I can't wait to go back again. Deadly. Um, I just wanted to go back a bit. You said you're doing support work and yeah. part-time. Yeah. Is that with um, the travelling community no, or no. just the area? It's in the KCCP in Kilbarrick, community, Kilbarrick uh, community Coast Project. So I'm working with fellas from 19 to 24 who um, are kind of um, not sure of their path of life, basically. And uh, just doing support work there. Uh, also got them into acting and met a short film with them. Uh, which are hoping to premiere in a festival in a few months. Uh, a great bunch of lads, you know. That's brilliant, yeah. is it? Because I know I, I took from the documentary Iron Traveller um, that you're very encouraging to uh, traveller boys that have left school. Yeah. Would you be involved? With, I, I know that was in the documentary, yeah. but would you be... Would you go out of your way to do that anyway? Yeah, and I do it with family members anyway, and yeah. anybody who needs help. And I often get asked to do, do these sort of things and talk of these sort of things, which can be a bit nerve-wracking, but I just get over and do it. Yeah. Uh, because I do recognize that I am somewhat of a role model, you know. So, And I know that I've met an impact at times when I talked about things that normally don't get talked about in my community. So... When I've seen that I, uh, happen, and I, you know, I'm open to continue doing that, and I have been doing it, uh, because there's a lot of barriers to get through with, with my community and cultural cultural stuff that we need to get past in order to progress, you know? Yeah, and they they look to you as a role model now. Did you have anybody to look up to role model-wise? In, in the same kind of breath that they look up to you, you're, mm. you're, you're a national figure now. Let's be fair mm, to well, say. <laughs> Everyone knows you, though. Do you know what I mean? Know, Do you get think, what I mean? Think about Irish people. You can't take a compliment to talk. <laughs> no. Um, but, like, say the traveller, uh, Michael Collins. Mm. He, would he have been someone that off? Somewhat. I suppose when I got into acting, he would have been somewhat of a role model because he was just a traveller and he was an actor. And he definitely was. And it was the first film i ever done. He gave me the best advice I ever got when I, when I got on set the first day. I, he said, take it one scene at a time, one day at a time. And I think that's the best advice you give any actor. But I suppose a role model just in life was my grandfather, uh, who's still alive today, Paddy Ward. Because I just looked up to him. He was a, He's a man with just great humanity and would help anybody, a complete stranger, and go out of his way to help people. And never never loses his head, never, you know, just a very, and an old kind of traditional man. But he's kind of the man you look up to, almost like a John Wayne figure, you know, the yeah. ultimate man. But he had a little bit more humanity than John Wayne. You know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, he was He's sort not of, fighting uh, people across fields. Yeah, anyway. exactly, exactly. <laughs> You're killing the poor Native Americans. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he'd be the main fella, role modeling, sort of father figure anyway. Deadly. Um, yeah. Um, just, just on that as well then, I suppose. Like So you mentioned there you lost your father to suicide. Yeah. So obviously your, your grandfather would have played then yeah. a, a much bigger role when you were growing up and that kind of thing. Yeah. So would... Like, how much of an impact would something like that have on you, obviously, when you're growing up? Like, obviously, I know it was huge, but mm. in terms of, I know, in the documentary, kind of, you talked about you left school and you're, like, 15 or something. Yeah. Would, would that all have been around that time frame and did that contribute to you kind of saying, ah, oh, no, this isn't for me? Or Well, oh, it's funny. I, you know, man, about a year ago, I remember sitting back and, and thinking about all the good things that have been happening to me over the last five or six years. Yeah. And then I thought about how they happened. And it all seemed to be 
from bad circumstances and uh, but when you kind of change your energy and you change your your mindset you know things could sort of change uh, for the better and i remember my father died when i was eight and what happened from from that he killed himself what happened from that was me and my my brothers were kind of stigmatized because we were the, we were the children of someone who committed suicide and we grew up without a father now I know that's hard for anybody but within our community it's sort of like the native american culture where if you if if you are brought up without a father and your mother brings you up they see you as now this is not everybody but this was this sort of being generally the case they see you as sort of incompetent of uh, becoming a man or or learning how to earn a living therefore he wouldn't like you to be with their daughters or he wouldn't like you to grow up that sort of way really? so we kind of had that following following us up and we would have been bullied a lot because i i grew up in like your bullied daughter. because your father bullied, died by suicide not just bullied because wouldn't not, not not exactly bullied because he died by suicide bullied just because we didn't have a father right so okay um the, like you wouldn't be bullied if you had a father because you'd be, you'd be worried about getting in a fight with your father because I grew up in a place where it's like a, nearly a mile long, seven or eight different sites, maybe 20 different names of families, maybe six, seven hundred travellers altogether. So, and across the road was a bell camp, rough working class area. In the middle was the field separating us. And you'd have to walk to school every morning. So I, we kind of got a lot of it. We got a lot of it from both sides, but there was no one to sort of defend me and take up for me. What, this is what older kids and then later adults would, would even when they bullied me thought to be no repercussion because normally your father comes out and defends you so we had that for years and what that ended up doing was built up a lot of anger in me and especially from when I went to school and be called knackers and pikeys and I'd be constantly getting attacked over being a traveller and it was a lot of anger and I ended up trying to box him when I was like uh, Jesus 12 and a half and within six months I had won the Dublins, the Leagues, the Leinsters and All-Irelands and I just had so much anger but I was a natural yeah. athlete but I had so much anger that I was kind of unstoppable for a few years and I learned to defend myself and that gave me great, great confidence uh, and I kind of grew into myself that no one could ever bully me then from about 14, 15 onwards I never got it again but then I had a bit of a slump had a bit of a slump in life mid-teens, late-teens got into depression or whatever because I started drinking and messing and I no more discipline from boxing and I kind of put all my eggs in one basket thinking I was going to go pro at boxing and I remember a few bad things happening that sent me really really down low until my brother reached out to me and recognised that I was really low feared that I was going to do mad shit and reached out to me and just asked what's going on and I started to communicate with him kind of what was going on and how my head was and because it was like a year and a half period where I wouldn't even smile and I wouldn't interact with anybody, you know, just literally all I would do was I'd spend all my money that I would get uh, on going to the cinema or buying DVDs and that's all I did, that's all I did. And I was always mad at the films but that period was just overdrive. I'd go and watch Sex and the City 2 in the cinema by myself, you know, <laughs> I remember I did it one day, I think it was number one and it was like, uh, <laughs> I, I, I was the first in, I was always first in because I just wanted to go to the cinema and I looked in front of me and I counted everybody that came in ahead of me and it was like 80 people, 82 people ahead of me and they were all women. So that'll tell you I didn't give a shit, you know. <laughs> so my brother, uh, he reached out to me and he basically... He told me, look, you have to talk about this and whatever. And he said, look, you have an obsession with film. You've always had that. Why don't you try acting? And uh, at that particular point in my life, I just said, yeah, why don't I actually? Because I'd always be worrying about what travelers. So you're 18 at this point? I was about 19. 19, 19 yeah. yeah. So I ended up do, doing an acting course in the Abbey, and I was just caught the bug, man, and just it completely changed my mindset from one glass, you know? Brilliant. So the, at the Abbey, was it? Yeah, at the Abbey. So there was no kind of... Because going back to 
reference on the the documentary there was a comment that you said um great great conversation between yourself and your grandmother where your grandmother said don't tell them you're a traveler yeah get the foot in the door this in the workplace yeah there was no um none of that getting into the abbey was there well no, I would never. I would never do that. There's no That's, discrimination. Yeah, oh, there sorry. was. There you, was. Yeah, you you said to your your grandmother, "No, I'm not the owner," yeah. and she's like, "Will you just no. do it?" You see, back in her day, she would have never done that. But she'd been sort of broken down because she was one of the first leaders of the of of the traveler movement. You know, yeah. she was an activist in her day and a great woman. But she was sort of broken down by that because she's doing it for decades, and they never really got too far. And it sort of broke her. Okay. So now it changed her attitudes to, you know, do all that just to get in the door. But I don't have that attitude. You know, I'm young and free still. Maybe when I get older in life and I'm bitter, I might have that attitude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I might be giving my grandchildren that. Hopefully not giving them that advice. But, but, but uh, you were describing um, a scene, a part in your life where um, you got a job as a doorman. Yeah. And the yeah. manager of the place said, mm-hmm. you, you put on a Dublin accent yeah, for the interview. Once, yeah, yeah. And then the man says, don't let any of those travellers in. Yeah. And you're like... Well, so when I you. went on a number of interviews and uh, I just uh, got loads of little hints because they'd ask you, where are you from and your accent's not from around here or whatever, this kind of thing. And, and I'd tell them I'm a traveller, stupidly, straight up. And he'd always go red or blush, like he got a fright, you know. So I said, it's an experiment. I'm actually going to go and do a Dublin accent and try it. And uh, Because it was a big fella and a boxing experience and I was clever head. So this is a sort of ideal doorman you know I didn't I wouldn't be the sort of fella flip out of door but I can handle it and this is why I was trying to do it you know so he ended up like talking away and everything was going great and uh, he then said look uh, do you have a problem uh, refusing certain minorities and I says no uh, who and he went uh, well you know uh, members of the traveling community uh, we don't want any of them in here whatsoever and he actually mentioned um, Eastern Europeans uh, don't let too many Eastern Europeans in either and uh, I just spoke my own accent that I said, well, I'm a traveller. And I just let a silence go just till he said something. And he went, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, you're grand. And I just got up and walked out. Yeah, and you just, you didn't take up the job. No. no. But, but sorry, I, I went on a bit of a tangent there. My, I suppose my question was, when you were applying for the Abbey, did you experience any uh, um, discrimination? Well, it was kind of, I, I experienced little bits of it. And then little bits of friendly discrimination, right? So that that's even more nine in a way. Well, that's that's a bit patronising, though, yeah, isn't it? Is. Say, it's that very kind of like almost patch on the head kind oh, of thing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 as a wheelchair user, I get that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, then you can relate. I would have got it there. Uh, the first night, actually, I experienced... I experienced... Uh, I experienced someone else discriminating against someone else in the class. And it was like... Uh, I was in the class and we all had to, had to walk in and we all had to sit around in a circle because I had asked on the phone to do a more advanced class, not an adult for fun because that didn't sound great to me at the time because I was in a, a kind of dark headspace and adult for, I was using it as a bit of therapy. I wasn't thinking about being an actor. I was just, ter- you know, like, you know, use it to get rid of the shit and see what happens out of it. So I go there and we all sat around and everybody's like, I've done two years in the gate, you know, went to this place, went to that place and I went, fuck, I'm fucked there. Like, I'm fucked. How do I get out? Uh, and I was literally <laughs> mad to the system in my head that I'm leaving the class, like, because uh, I was that intimidated. Because they all had just so much experience. And then I, then I, she said, everybody sit in a row and we'll do an improv game. And I kind of had no way out, you know. So I said, I'll sit down for a minute and kind of, I'll say, I'll go to the toilet or whatever and, and I'll just leave, you know. And there was this, this fellow who was, uh, who was, uh, uh, of African heritage. I was Brazilian. He was a person of color and he stood up and he, 
volunteer himself to do an imp- improv- improvisation. And it was funny, this sort of lad, who would be from a well-to-do background, kind of charismatic fella, good-looking fella, he jumped up, and it was the game was shopkeeper, customer. So whoever was the shopkeeper would walk in, and whatever he said the shop was, or whatever kind of shop was, the customer has to go with that. So the Dublin lad was the was the customer, and the the Brazilian man was the shopkeeper. And he came in, and he was just being totally patronising with him. And the Brazilian lad had really bad English, and he was just like tried to trick him and tried to tried to uh, fool him and and laughing at him in the scene. And I just was there. I was building up in rage because, like, depression raids their brothers, you know. And I would just snap at it very, very easy. And I remember genuinely looking at this improv and fantasizing about grabbing this lad and throwing him up because we're on the second floor, throwing him out the window. That's, like, I literally wow. fantasized about that. And I said, right, okay. So it was, like, passive aggressiveness, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Improv? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, it was just re- and really patronizing. It, just, it was disgusting to look at. And I'd, I remember going, right, should I go, should I go? And the scene ended, and the customer, the lad, Dublin lad, became the shopkeeper, and they needed a volunteer to become the customer. So I said, fuck it, I'll volunteer. I never acted or whatever. I'll volunteer, so you have to walk out the door and come back in. And I walked out, and I said, should I do this, or should I just leave this opportunity to leave? So I said, I'll do it. And I come back in the door, and it's up to me. Whatever I say dictates the scene. So I robbed the place, and I grabbed them and I threw them on the ground. I took off his shoes and his socks and I gave him a few slaps and choked him and lost the head. And uh, the teacher said, at the teacher time said, stop, Julie Shearer. She was an Australian teacher, actor, drama teacher of kind of classical background. It's a lovely woman. And she said, stop, stop. And I walked out the door and I walked downstairs and she came out and followed me and I said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm going, you know. And she said, don't go, come here, come here, don't go. And I said, look, I'm sorry, look, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And she says, uh, look, come back up. It's okay. He's not dead. Um, you went too far. Don't, <laughs> don't go that far again. But you have something there. Let's learn how to harness that now. And let's see what else he can do. So she brought me back up. That was a bit of method acting, wasn't it? It was a bit. I don't know what it was. <laughs> anyway. uh, it was a fucking rage. Uh, but she brought me back up and she learned me a lot. I did a few courses with her and I learned. learned she kind of tried to break me in for theatre because she was classical style. And I kind of was never influenced by theatre. Um, I was inspired by realism, by cinema. That's realism, you know. That's yeah. Scorsese and the kind of early '70s stuff. That's what inspired me. I never went and, and watched fucking plays. That wasn't a you know person in my class or where I come from. Never did that, you know. And then when I started to be an actor, and when I went to look in plays, I was very rarely inspired. Do you know what I mean? So she'd be saying like, "You need to project your voice. You need to get your posture up like this, and you need to move like this, and whatever." And I'd be saying, "It's not real. A real person wouldn't do that." Yeah. And I'm saying, "This is not real. This is theater. You're talking about film." So it was, it was very difficult for her to break me in. And the funny yeah. thing was, at the end of the first course, she was trying to break me in, and she couldn't break me in. And I was still trying to play it real. I was still playing it real. And these other people are playing over the top, you know. Yeah. And they're making me look really subtle. And I'm making them look really over the top. Because we're <laughs> playing it completely different, you know. The funny thing was, we ended up doing it on a, the smallest stage ever. Where, like, I mean, the closest person was two foot away from the stage. So the kind of subtle realism of my performance worked <laughs> perfectly. <laughs> I don't know if she liked that. But uh, it was a great experience in the Abbey, man. It was, it was just kind of... Got you up just kind of practical acting and, yeah. and, and got me the bug and I became obsessed about it then, you know. Did it sort your mental health Completely. issues out? The first night. I left the first night and I walked down the street and I, I uh, loads of people were looking at me like I was walking towards people and they kept looking at me really strangely. I said, what are you looking at me for? 
And I realised I had this joker smile from cheap all the cheap bone. <laughs> and maybe because I hadn't smiled in literally probably a year, I must have been a freaky looking smile, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I came home that night, my mother, mother seen me turn around and said, are you all right? And I said, I'm great. She said, asked me what I was doing and told her and she said, please keep it up. And it was just gone. It was gone. But then I just started to chew books and, you know, read up online and just become obsessed, yeah. you know. But a good, it's a healthy obsession. Brilliant. Um, I know Graham asked earlier on about influences in your life and you said about your granddad and then there you talked about kind of influences in the cinema world. Like who, so you went to the cinema, like you bought DVDs a lot. Like what yeah. kind of actors were you kind of like, yes, here's a new film, I'm definitely going to see that, that kind of thing. I suppose coming up in my era that of going to the cinema and watching Denzel Washington would be a oh, massive love one. Denzel. Uh, love Denzel. Sean Penn, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Daniel Day-Lewis, Christian Bale, They'd be the sort of actor, uh, Gary Oldman, they'd be yeah. the sort of actors sort of my era that would still have films coming out in the cinema. Uh, bigger influences even would be probably Marlon Brando would be a huge influence. Um, um, De Niro, Pacino, they're all the legends. Uh, probably my favourite ever actor was James Gandolfini. Uh, I think yeah. what James Gandolfini did in The Sopranos uh, is, the, is, is the bar, is the standard. I don't think it goes beyond that. I don't think acting gets better than that. Maybe so, there's other actors out there got to that level, but I don't think there's a higher level than that. It's the best TV yeah. show yeah, ever. It is, of course. For story and performances, it is. Obviously, like that was the first kind of great television show, and after that, you got better better production value, bigger budgets, and a shot better, whatever. But yeah. for story and performances, it is the best. It, and it's so psychological. You know, it's, Polly Walnuts. Oh, brilliant, man. But he was in the Mafia. He was actually in the Mafia. Are you serious? Yeah, he was in the Mafia. And you know your man, Bobby Buckleary? They were actually yeah, in the yeah. mafia. Do you know what I mean? So that's the kind of realism you have in the show. And then Steve Van Zandt was fucking amazing playing Sill. Yeah. yeah. Like, you just have this amazing Isn't cast. This East Street band with yeah. Bruce Springsteen. Well, it was a mixture yeah. between realism and then great acting because mm. the, you, you didn't question anybody uh, in the show for not being real. But then you have James Gandolfini, who was obviously totally real as well, who was just given tour de force performances every season. Like, mm. I mean, this is a man who would get into a scene and... He would just with his eyes, he could play three or four different emotions. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And he's fucking with you, and you like he's doing these the most horrible things, and you still feel for him. He always has that humanity. So he was a like a massive, and still is. Like I watch The Sopranos over and over now, and it's kind of actually depressing because I'm looking at it going, I can never be that good. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But he he is. He's it definitely, definitely did. What like you said, it it raised the bar for television it did, series. Yeah, it did. Have you have you watched it? Ah, fuck yeah. Oh, no, my God. I'll, yeah, I'll, be honest, I'll be honest. I downloaded The Sopranos about four years ago. Go home um, tonight and watch it. And I, I, this is the, one of the times we went to Vegas. I had it on a tablet. I watched the first three episodes. I was like, I'm going to keep watching that. I just never, I don't know why. Ah, I just never ridiculous. did. Oh, That's the best. So, it's an embarrassment, actually. Yeah, I, I know it is. It's one of them. Cause You've went like, down a peck as a human being. Because <laughs> 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 it is. It's one of them. Whenever you talk about box sets, whenever oh, you talk about man, great TV shows, it's the best. It always comes the up. Best. It started off all this great yeah. era of television, and it still, to me, is still is the best. It is the best. You know? Obviously, you get a better the, shot today or whatever, and bigger budgets, but story performance is the best. Yeah. The, the, the season, the the season where he spent most of the time in the hospital bed. Unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. But it just proved he can do anything. Yeah. Put him in any situation, he can do anything. And for such a big man, he's physically great with his body, how he could turn his body, you know? Yeah. And, and different scenes, you could, you could see by his physicality what mood he was in, you yeah. know? He just did everything. He was amazing. Oh, he was brilliant. Uh, yeah, that and The Wire is, you don't know, people always say. The Wire is brilliant. I've never watched The Wire either. I st- I've I'm started it yeah brilliant 
Brilliant. I'm reluctant to get involved into uh, other box sets in case they're better than Sopranos. I tell you, I've tried Bragg and Brad, great. I wouldn't put it on the level of Sopranos. And I tried House yeah. of Cards, that was very good. Yeah, uh, I tried cards. True Detective, it was only one season, it was amazing, but still, wouldn't be Sopranos for me anyway. But no. I suppose yeah. it's subjective, isn't I, it? I, I always say, every time we talk about box sets, I always say, the newsroom is my oh, yeah. favourite TV Jeff show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or no, not Jeff, uh, Jeff, Jeff Daniels. Daniels, sorry, Daniels yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, I can never remember your man's name that he's in um, Law and Order. Sam something is his name. But he's brilliant in it as well. But he's one of them that it's a very understated part, if you get me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he plays a guy called Charlie Skinner in the show. Like, Oh, yeah. I watched and, the first oh, season. Loved it. Loved it, I did. But yeah, the Sopranos. I must get on to the Sopranos. I must do that. Yeah, no, you have to. Number one. I'm watching um, at the moment, what's it called? Billions at the moment. Is that Paul Giamatti? Paul Giamatti and Damien Lewis. I'm loving it. Who does he say? Uh, Damien Lewis. Oh, I thought it said Daniel Lewis from another. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? He's on a yeah, like a hard attack. <laughs> <laughs> get, that, get that quiet, didn't he? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I am really enjoying it at the moment. It's, um, Giamatti's brilliant. Love him, mm, isn't he? Love him. I, was, I think The Negotiator is the first thing that I remember seeing him in. Yeah. Kevin Spacey and Samuel L. Yeah, Jackson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, even in that, I thought, like. What's that yeah. wine one he's in? Oh, that's brilliant. What's it's that? Two lads. Shit. Going off. Ah, sideways? Sideways. Yeah, yeah. That sideways. is brilliant. That's dead. The dialogue in that, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but what he's brilliant at doing, like Christopher Walken, Sam Rockwell, Philip Simmer Hoffman, great coming into a film with three scenes and just stealing the fucking yeah. show. Yeah. Exactly. Just yeah. grabbing yeah. it. And you're like, I want that cunt to come back in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're the actors. I love them character actors. Yeah. Giamatti's just brilliant at it, yeah. you know? He's absolutely brilliant in this show on Billions. I'd say check it out um, if you get a chance. It's all it. moving into television now, all the great actors. That's yeah, it. It's the money, but also, there's. there's um, the black market a, there's a bigger scope though for a character because you can grow with a character through the years you know and, and the, you can, you can, I know it makes it harder to keep them in tune but you can sort of change and the, people change all the time in different circumstances and you just get a longer journey uh, with a character I think you know yeah. I wonder if Daily Lewis would consider doing a TV series that'd be a shock of the century but you never know it would, what would entice him to do it yeah. I'm sure doesn't he remain in character can yeah. you imagine him for, for seven, seven months seven years <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is that why we get sick of him now in all fairness <laughs> Jim Sheridan was saying he was in an, on an interview on the telly there the other night I think it was on the 7 o'clock show and uh, they said to him like Daniel Day-Lewis is he, does he really be like that he yeah. goes absolutely yeah, yeah. should you never hear the story about when he's when they were making Lincoln no and he was walking around set and he'd make people refer to him as either Mr. President and, or and he wanted to talk to him yeah yeah, yeah. All that sort he of wanted to talk to me. he had to speak in 17th century tongue yeah he would like if, so if you came up and you're like alright hey what's the crack man how are you as an actor what how, what do you think about that style uh, I think it's really interesting um, I mean who knows man I think uh, for me it would be more about whatever it took to to, to uh to get there so with different roles it's different if you play a role that's similar to you you don't have to go as far you just have to worry about sort of looking at it psychologically I suppose sometimes you if they physically change a lot you have to really change your accent completely or whatever mm. so it depends to me I would just I take every role uh, on differently so whatever this role is what requires me now to get her uh, I'll, I'll do you know yeah, but it's yeah. really cool and, and I know that it garners a lot of attention and a, and a lot of mystery around the film and it brings a lot of cinema goers going I think he sort of has it just now Daniel Lewis making a film every 20 years or something. Yeah. <laughs> and just like all this mystery surround him and already there's an Oscar like straight away he wins an Oscar before anybody's even seen because, the film yeah. uh, and it's all a part of the mystery and I think he did something that's great because I think if you, you see way too much of actors 
and they're doing three films a year and they're doing the, the, the late show with Jimmy Fallon and, and you know every week then you get to know their personalities really well mm. and it, the more you know them the harder it is to, 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 to believe like the them film. Uh, yeah but to believe them as a character yeah. you know so uh, That's the thing about um, Day Lewis as well um, years ago I had a physiotherapist who yeah. worked as an <coughs> advisory role to my left foot where was that that was done not down Larry uh, Sandy Mount I oh think. Sandy Mount that yeah. was the place he went there didn't he he, went there, he spent six months with my physiotherapist Jesus to Christ. see what it's like to be um, someone with cerebral palsy the commitment like and Jim Sheridan said um, they had two days break yeah. in, in between shoots and he went to do, to do some pre-production and Day-Lewis happened to be in the room and he was painting with his foot on his day off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, he actually done paintings with his feet. Like. Yeah, with Gangs yeah. in New York, he Fucking went to mad. live with this, like... I heard he murdered yeah. somebody. <laughs> <laughs> For Gangs in New York, his friend. That was one of, one of these rumours online. Yeah. I worked with Jim Sheridan myself in the Secret Scripture. He was telling me stories about... ADs would have to ADs would have to wheel him to what's AD? And, uh, assistant directors okay. trainee ADs and whatever maybe yeah. whatever it be the, the, the trainee AD they would probably have to wheel him wheel him over and feed him his lunch and all uh, he used to get he used to get it he was getting first few days he had um, uh, the mother who played the mother great actress Jesus Brenda Frigger Brenda, Brenda Frigger yeah. he was doing it for the first few days he said fuck this I'm not having enough of this and so <laughs> the ADs had to feed him then for the whole shoot like, what did you work with Jim Sheridan uh, on? the secret scripture I've never heard of that. It's his latest one. It's in it's in post production. It's finished. It's finished. So oh, so it's not out yet. No, no, oh, it should be oh, out. Okay. I think this year. I think oh, I did right. it last year. Uh, it was weird because Jim Sheridan. Um, one day it was like a, I got an art. Uh, me, my uncle brought it into me an article on the Star newspaper. Jim Sheridan just randomly talking about me, right, and saying John Connors can make it a Hollywood if he wants. I seen this film we done called Stalker. It was a really low budget film we done on fifteen grand. It was great, and he can do everything and all this bollocks, whatever. And my family was just seen it as the kind of, uh, it's confirmed now, you've met him. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I was happy just with that, with the family. It's such an Irish thing, I'm isn't okay it? now. Jim Sheridan approves of me. Uh, it's such was, an Irish thing. I was like, hang on for a minute. I knew he was casting for something. And I said, if he's saying all that, he fucking better give me a role, you know? And the funny thing is, we ended up, uh, me, Damien, Damien Dempsey's a good friend of mine, and someone got in touch with Damien Dempsey and asked him to be a part of this sort of uh, tradition that's 170 years old from the Shelburne Hotel, where you bring people that's, <clears throat> bring people from America over and all across the world to invest in Dublin and you give them sort of a a, a guide and you pick a, a artists uh, to, to guide them around and Damon was picked and he asked me to do it so I was one of them Damon Nemsey was one of them Jim Sheridan was one of them Bono was one of them and it was just a mad experience and I showed us all bits of Dublin that I liked or whatever and and uh, we were all just having a crack. We're up in command in hospital. But I was looking for Jim when I was like, I'm going to get that. And I was like, probably great thing I didn't get him down there because I was mouldy. I, said, I would have <laughs> smelted him. But I uh, couldn't find him. I couldn't find him. But the weird thing about a week later, I got a phone call off uh, Frank Pozzell, the casting director, saying, Jim wants you in his film. Um, uh, he doesn't know what the part is yet, but he wants you. I said, oh, great. That's, uh, you sound really sure. Great. <laughs> uh, but to get back to me, and the, uh, he said... Uh, he got back to me and he says uh, he wants you to play this IRA, IRA Man 2 or something, right? And it's based on a worldwide best-selling book, The Secret Scripture. And I said, look, anything. Like, I just, like, one minute on set in the Jim Sheridan film because it was like a bucket list one for me, you know? Yeah. The greatest Irish filmmaker of all time. If I, I was looking to get there in 10 years' time. But I was like, okay, I'll do anything. So I go to the reading and he comes to me afterwards and he said, what do you think about the other character, Joel Brady? I said, uh, well, he's like a 57-year-old farmer who's like kind of 
psycho tendencies and sexually oppressed. Yeah, I think you sh- you could play him. <laughs> Fuck his age. <laughs> this is the film, not the book. I said, okay, cool. So uh, he just, it was in like three scenes, say, or whatever. And it was like two days work. Great. Sounds good to me. And then I ended up doing about 11 days because he kept expanding the character <laughs> and I kept just improvising on set and he just expanded the character and caught, like, I'd get, literally it'd be 9 o'clock in the morning and I get a phone call from, from, the, from uh, the, the, for the second AD saying, can you come in today? We'll send a taxi for you right now. Or one day they were there, the taxi's right outside your door, we need you to come in today, right now. And I'm like, what? What are you on about? This is no, no. And I'd have to go. And he, just, he, he put me in loads of scenes, probably about 25 scenes or something, but it will, it, he, obviously it's got edited down to bits. If I'm in two scenes, I'll be happy, but yeah. the experience was amazing. Yeah. I'd work yeah. with a man, of him, man like him because... He is just the way he works with actors. He does great he's, interviews as well, doesn't he? He's a storyteller. He's a he's a bard. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. a typical Irish bard. You know, yeah. just great storyteller. Yeah, he's brilliant. You know, so uh, if if James Sheridan says you can make it to Hollywood, who you mentioned bucket lists there? Hmm. Who who would you love to work with in Hollywood? Well, Scorsese. Yeah, Scorsese. He's doing it's the Irish man next year. Uh, about um, your man Frank Sheridan who killed Jimmy Hoffa. It's based on a book. Um, the, 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 what's it called whatever called I don't know yeah. but he's doing that now, that'd be the dream that'd be that the would dream, be a good one is Jim going to dr- drop some names to Scorsese that's a good idea actually I never <laughs> thought of that <laughs> you know Scorsese yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you never know you never know but that'd be the dream man yeah, the work with Scorsese Derek Sion France um, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson she's all them you know uh, Steve McQueen they're all yeah. my favourite kind of current directors now as well um, there's so many out there, like, isn't there? And in terms of actors, if someone's so let, let's let's talk about the dream. You seem like a positive bloke as well. So let's mm. talk with the dream, like, yeah. So let's say Jim Sheridan pulls in a favor, yeah. Gets you on that. Who who would you like to be cast alongside? Like, who do you think? Well, I suppose one of the legends before they die, <laughs> De Niro. You know, De Niro yeah. would be a great one. Uh, Any Irish know. actors? Well, Daniel Lewis, I claim it to be Irish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fassbender. Fassbender's amazing, man. Fassbender. Yeah, every time I see you know, him, Brendan Gleeson, you know. Yeah. Uh, they're great. I, I really like uh, Liam Cunningham, you know. really like yes. yeah. Liam yeah. Cunningham, you know. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of great... We're blessed now with a lot of uh, talent in, in the country for acting, especially actually younger actors who are unknown. There's great talent there because for the first time, um, Irish actors are, are now training for camera and they're becoming uh, film actors as opposed to just being theatre broken for years. Mm. Because then you kind of get bad habits for camera and you're kind of over the top or whatever. So now we're getting the generation who can act for camera now. And I think in the next few generations, you're going to see a lot of great talent come out of the country. And I was going to right, so we were ta- talking about all that. It'd be remiss if we didn't talk about your foy, your row with Mr. Tuberty. Oh, yeah. That's how it's in, <laughs> in, 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 in After looking back at all that, are you more angry at the situation or... Have you calmed down? No, no I'm because was it Ryan talking or someone in ear Ryan's ear talking in some of the comments he made? He, I was watching it at home and I was hands in my head, yeah. kind of going. I've seen Tuberty do it before, yeah. um, where he's given certain guests an easy ride, and then yeah. he's like he's, Tony Blair, the war criminal. Yeah, J- Jerry Adams. He yeah. kind of. Try to blindside a lot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, how do you how do you feel after it? And how sorry, how did you feel during it? Did uh, you expect it to go the way it did? No, no, I didn't. Like I expected, um, I expected a few tough questions, but to kind of uh, take a really serious stance and 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 really um, 
and express his views on the whole situation because they're meant to be subjective interviews are meant to be subjective and ask tough questions but to really get passionate about it and to point his finger at me and in my culture you point your finger at your man you'd be ready, be ready to fight to be honest with you you know mm. so I, was, I felt threatened and I felt kind of embarrassed you know what I mean because I felt like it was this is, uh, this is coming out of the blue here like a bit of a shock and every time I was trying to make a point or have a bit of fluidity to what I was saying he was cutting across me every single time and I was trying to make some good points so it was the funny thing, I talked about Tony Blair, he had Tony Blair on him, in my eyes, he's a war criminal, you know, he's partly responsible for a half a million innocent uh, Iraqi civilians being killed in Iraq. And they were best friends, they were absolute best friends on the show, and he had politicians on who ruined the country, uh, and best friends again. He had Pat Rabbit on, just I think just after me. They were grand, not a bother. Then he has a traveller on, talking about equality, and he's trying to deny that racism ex- exists against travellers. So it was completely infuriating, and it was angry and have no problem saying that and other people have gone up and said no you weren't angry you were passionate whatever you think but I was angry mm. I was definitely yeah. angry you can tell that something something kind of went off yeah in in terms of and, and I, I think the way you said you felt embarrassed yeah you were responding as if you were embarrassed absolutely yeah um, the thing I didn't like about it was the finger pointing yeah on his half because you admit like you were saying look I know there's there's people in my community that have done whatever. Yeah. But he wasn't really letting that go. No. No, no. Well, he wanted to hang on that. He wanted to hang on the nev- negatives. But what I realised afterwards is that, you know, well, I, I know, but what I realised was he is he is a part of the, the establishment, okay? He's getting paid a half a million a year or whatever, the highest paid person in RT. He is a part of the establishment. And there is an establishment agenda when it comes to travellers, right? And this was created 100 years ago when the Free State was formed. And this agenda is now, you know, enforced by the media, okay? So he's a part of that media, he's a part of that establishment, and he has to push that agenda. So that's what I realised afterwards. But I'm not angry at all now. I'm, in fact, I'm, I'm happy about it because the days that following, actually, the support I, the support I got online was, like, I, I couldn't sign into my Twitter account at one point. Uh, and my Facebook, at different, it was too much activity. I couldn't actually sign into my accounts uh, because it was, there was that many tweets from people, and that's then 90% was positive yeah. um, from, from, from people actually contacting me. Now, there was other stuff where I was tagged in. That was probably 50-50, the usual knacker pike or whatever. But people contacting me was 90% positive. Like, I can't even count the amount of tweets or, or comments I got or mails. I can't, like, t- within... Maybe twenty thousand, maybe like so. Just it was went unreal, and people seen my people have seen my side of the story, and this was all coming up to my documentary, which I was trying to promote. And you were on there to promote the documentary, but you got into a bit of a back and forth. Yeah, of course, back and forth. But it ended up being the best promotion (laughs) ever because everybody (laughs) wanted to see the documentary. It was like Conor McGregor style promotion, exactly. (laughs) And it was like uh, I know that we got really, really high ratings. Which is one of the reasons why the RTA two have now asked me to do this other documentary in July about the minorities in America. So it worked out grand for me, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. it, and I mean, I don't like look. Ryan, I think was, uh, you know, again, he was he's a part of the establishment. He's part of the agenda. He has to push that. Uh, he pays bills, and you know, I've no real hard feelings. I'll check the man's hand. I'll go on again. I'll mm-hmm. talk about other stuff. But hopefully, next time it's an interview rather than an attack. Yeah, That'd be yeah. nice, just to have a bit of fluidity to what I'm saying. Because I've a lot of things that uh, that I'd like to say uh, that are very important, and to, to talk about them on that scale uh, needs to be done eventually, anyway. You know, so yeah. hopefully next time we can have a more civilized uh, chat. Yeah, I just uh, touching on the point where, like Graham highlighted that. <coughs> He kind of didn't let go of the fact that, like, yes, some members of the traveling community have caused trouble, but at yeah. the same time, it's like everything. I mean, there's members of the settled community yeah. like that are 
you know, arsehole yeah. just as much. You know, yeah. I mean, no matter where you go, you're going to get it. Like, but it's like so, my 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 mother works in the local <clears throat> credit union, yeah. and I was held up by a settled fella. Hmm. There was no finger pointing to the settled community in our local yeah. area. Yeah. But if that yeah. was if that was someone in the travelling community, oh my god, hundred percent, hundred percent, and. Well, the thing I, I was a uh, funny thing. Eamon Dunphy said this in our documentary. I'm not sure. If he was actually very, very good on. He that was amazing. He's an amazingly yeah. articulate man, you know. Yeah. He was always a hero of mine, anyway, because I just loved. I loved the way he didn't give a fuck. He was ballsy always, you know. Yeah. But uh, that clip that you showed. Sorry to cut across. Yeah. Hold that thought as well. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> just while I have it. Yeah. That clip with Dunphy in questions and answers and. Uh, and Lucy Burke. You don't remember? No, you were five. No, I was six. Six. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. So no, I don't remember. Whose idea was that to come up in the in the documentary? Eamon Dunphy. Brilliant. And I'll tell you why because Eamon Dunphy found out we were making this documentary, and Stuart Carlin, the love hate uh, creator, told him right. Stuart Carlin is good friends with Kim Bartley, who was the director of the documentary, and he said, "I won on that documentary," and. It was a bit random because how do you just get Eamon Dunphy on without it, any context? But he was sure he wanted on it to speak for Travers' rights and he called it you know, the Irish apartheid and the last acceptable form of racism, which is what I always call it. Mm. And he was adamant he wanted it on. He said, here's the angle. Get the, the Helen Lucy Burke show on, the clip of that, and show it 20 years later where it's even worse now. Do you know what I mean? So that was his angle to get on. And he made, he made a great point. He said, he said, Travers never ruined this country. Travers never ruined this country with a pen. They're not the bankers. They're not the politicians. They're the people that really ruined the country. But you'll find in the media, there's always little distractions to get away from the main narrative. They'll always distract you, whether it's the Adrian Kennedy show or Niall Bylan talking about working class people or all's come or whatever. Mm. There's always these little distractions that'll take you away from thinking about the bigger picture, which is we're fucked. Mm. You know what yeah. I mean? That's the reality. We're fucked. So the media will create everything they can to get away from that you know, look, who's pay, look who's paying them all look who owns them you know what I mean exactly. Dennis O'Brien you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> who's the devil do you think um, shows like My Gypsy Wedding or, or films like Snatch or that like, do you think they, they damaged more than anything Big else Big Fat Gypsy Wedding did serious damage and yeah. it enforced racism massively on a massive scale in the UK and in Ireland since it started about 8-9 years ago mm. so there's, there's the funny thing is as well. Straight up, they call Gypsy Wedding, right? When they're showing Irish travellers and Gypsies, right? Yeah, and <clears throat> and a mixture of both. We're not Gypsies, right? Gypsies originate from Indian Mountain people thousands of years ago. Uh, we're Irish origin, and actually by DNA testing, we showed that the genetic pool of Ireland has probably changed by about thirty percent under British rule. So the genetic pool has changed by thirty percent. That's really significant. How much our pool has changed? Well, actually, not mine. Because the traveller genetic pool hasn't changed by zero, like zero, zero percent, hasn't changed one bit under British rule. So that, that's how we now know that we didn't come from the famine or Cromwellian times or whatever. Yeah. So if I wanted to be contact, I'd say we're extra Irish. <laughs> Do, you yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm not, you know what I mean? But, yeah. but, so we, that's really insulting to be just called a different ethnicity. If that's kind of culturally, we're very different because travellers are culturally Irish, gypsies are culturally Romany. And then wherever country they stay in, they adopt that culture a bit. So culturally very different, but traditions very similar. But that's how they came together, right? So it's not really a representation of Irish travellers. It's more of a representation of these mixed cultures, do you know what I mean, who are very different. So that's one thing. Also, the power you have in the edit room, you know yourself, lads. When you when you get something, you can interpret it any way you can if you get in the edit. You can do anything you want with it. So there's a sensationalised narrative there that is all about gloss and exaggerated, you know. So if you're, uh, I don't know, a poor working class Irish person and you put on big fat tipsy wet and you already have 
a negative uh, feeling towards travellers. And you see these super rich travellers over in England having a great time, and you're in the middle of a recession and you just lost your job. That just fuels more hatred. You know what I mean? So that's part of it. Uh, so that's been completely damaging uh, to travellers. Snatch, being honest with you, man, <coughs> Snatch I just found funny. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It was just Brad Pitt playing a traveller. Mm. Like, we couldn't believe it. Like, Brad Pitt playing a traveller. <laughs> not real at all. Not realistic. Not a realistic portrayal. But we just felt it funny. Yeah. And it, like, saying dags. I've never heard a traveller ever pronounce it like dags. <laughs> because we always go all oh, with everything. You know, dogs. We go dogs. Do you yeah. know what I mean? We drag dogs. Yeah. So dags was... So there's loads of, like, stupid things about it. But we just... Brad, Brad Pitt playing a traveller. It's fucking funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the other thing that told the interview as well, I suppose, the part where he was kind of saying, like, do you feel discriminated or whatever? Like, I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, Ryan's obviously not here to defend himself or to comment himself, but I can't imagine Ryan Turbody has ever been discriminated against for whatever reason. Like, so for him to even try and, and broach that bridge. You sound like Ryan House by saying someone's not here to defend himself. He has said that three week, three times in the last... I can't imagine. Well, he's part of the ruling class, the elite, isn't he? Yeah. You know, um, I mean, he couldn't be discriminated against that much. I mean, I know that I have faced more discrimination in my life than most people ever should. And that's not me going boo-hoo-ha-ha. Yeah. That's just everyday life when you're traveling this country. And the majority of people don't realize it. Even though to discriminate against traveler is completely acceptable to the vast majority of settled mm. people, they still don't realize the harm that does. Yeah. Because we've been dehumanized. Right, so that's from systematic oppression. It's strategic from the government. We've been completely been dehumanized. If you go back to the 1963 uh, uh, itinerary Commission report, right? Charlie High penned this together. He said himself that we won't have a final solution to the traveller problem until we fully assimilate them in the Salipudi. Final now, solution. That's to the where do we hear that exact oh, terminology? Yeah, Nazi yeah. Germany. Yeah. Where, and he literally deliberately used loads of Nazi Germany uh, terminology within that report. And that was only the, that was called the final solution. There'd be many reports before that were even worse. And, and and laws that were packed, that were all passed in order to stop us from living a way of life, right? But the funny thing is, if you get a people, right, who are nomadic and they travel around, and you've nomadic tribes of people all across the whole world, not yeah. just gypsies, uh, other nomadic tribes of people. If you get a nomadic people who love the land, no real sense of time, they have their own culture that is very different, right? Now, what happened was, they basically, the majority culture got to swallow that little culture up, right? Which is not unfair. It's unfair if we live in a democracy, you shouldn't believe in that. So they took us off the road and blocked everywhere so we couldn't travel. Even though it was our land too, like everybody else, we should have been allowed to exercise our rights and our culture. So they blocked up all the old roads. And in the 60s, when plastic came in, plastic ruined the tinsmith trade, right? Which would have been, most travellers would have been tinsmiths or chimney sweeps or whatever, but tinsmith was a big way of income for travellers or, or just busking. Travellers were the first buskers in the country, you know? So, tinsmith came in. Uh, Is that where the word tinker came from? Uh, from tinsmith. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. exactly. So, t- tinsmith was gone because of the plastic came in and the government seen this as an opportunity now to get them assimilated, right? So, what they did was they bribed travellers with the dole, right? Said for the first time we'll allow you. To, the dole was in for a couple of years, but he wouldn't allow travellers to collect the dole, right? But then it said, now we'll allow you to collect the dole, right? Because they're so desperate for money. But in order to collect the dole, and this is all official, this is not me, hearsay or anything, this is all written down. I'd be looking at your documents, this is all facts, anybody can share it. So in order for you to collect the dole, you have to settle, right? But we're only going to give you a portion of the dole from what settled people get until your 18 months settle. So to get them fully settled, right? 
But then it was all, this is how these people just start being idiots, actually. They weren't actually clever people at all because the idea was to assimilate travelers just in the regular working class people and let them assimilate into, into those communities and put them beside those communities, right? And to want us to assimilate. We never wanted to assimilate. We wanted to integrate, of course, but not assimilate and not stop being who we were. But even even so, right, it was made as impossible for us to integrate, never mind assimilate, which is what they wanted, because they always put a big gap between us and the Celtic community. You look at every traveller site all across this country, in the 32 counties, right, it's always on the edge of a town, on the edge of a suburb, on the edge of a city, right? Any site you look at, but I know there's sites over here, even the south side, drawn the way into the motorway or whatever. You'll never get them right beside a house instead or whatever. There's always something in between. Always on a road or big, huge field between them. So there was always that gap. And think about that symbolically, what that means when you're growing up and there's a big gap between you and the other people. So it's very hard for us to integrate. So the government has tried to get us to assimilate, but yet there's making it impossible for for to even integrate. But Pete, Pete, the settled community would say that... um Traveling, the traveling community doesn't want to integrate. Hundred percent, we do. Yeah. I've never like my my family have totally integrated. Mm. Now we have because we moved up to Darnell ourselves and we just met a new site for ourselves and went that field council land that's ours and we're living there fifteen years so we were closer and then some of us moved into houses and moved back and forward or whatever. So in my area in Darnell, we're totally integrated. And I've like my best friends right now are settled people. Like yeah. like literally my best friend in the world, two best friends in the world are settled people. They're not travelers. Mm. So I mean that shit doesn't come with me at all I look at every person I see differently you know mm. the problem was when they started to settle, settle travellers and put these big gaps between the communities it did a lot of damage right and also travellers have always had a really high birth rate so if you look at things like the most controversial parts of our our, our culture, even though they're not a parts of our a part of our culture, they're only kind of new things that come in since we settled. Is feuding, right? That's the most controversial thing. Feuding, and people are always throwing it up my face and feuding, feuding, feuding. Of course, it exists. It definitely exists. How that, does that happen? The feuding. Well, well, I'm, that's what I'm going to actually get into because yeah. people want to just talk talk about feuding and say it's a part of our culture. It's not actually a part of our culture. It's something developed over the last 30, 40 years. Now, if you want, you can just say feuding is a part of your culture. You're inferior to us, because that's what the narrative is. The narrative is, and the media narrative is, that we are inferior. We are inferior as a culture. Yeah. That's the narrative. They won't go up and actually say that, although they have many different times, but it's not usually they don't. But that is the narrative, right? But where feuding came from was you put people on the edge of town, and you put them in sites, right? And you put 20-foot walls. We had 20-foot walls around us the whole way, one way and one way. It was like a fucking concentration camp. Now, travel's really high birth rate. So the next generation of travellers come along 15 years later and there's like three times the population. In, and you have to, you're expected to stay on that side and live, in the, live up on top of each other. And you have no privacy. And the next generation comes and it's completely overpopulated. Everybody's up on top of each other, crammed up on top of each other, going up along paths. And what, what happens is it becomes a ghetto. It literally becomes a ghetto. That's what happened. The place I grew up in was a ghetto. It was completely overpopulated. It was like fucking Gaza, genuinely. So there was like 5,000 amount of people that was meant to be there just a couple of generations later. And what happens was if there's a fight one night, if someone's out in the pub, there's so many people around, there's so many bad energies, there's people living up in the opposite or have no privacy, and all of a sudden you get a fight, and because there's so many people there, someone else comes in, and you can't control the crowd, and they're punching the heads off each other, then they're living right up on top of each other, then a feud starts. So you can be stupid and ignorant if you want and just think, oh, feuding's a part of their culture. That's just their thing. But it isn't. It's never been a part of the culture. Yeah. It's something that came in the last few decades. Yeah. And it's caused because we were we were forced to settle. It's mad. Because even when, like, the, you know, the YouTube clips yeah. of Traveller uh, kind of Baron challenging, yeah, yeah, yeah. challenging each other and all. Like, that's that's the, st- the stereotype, yeah, yeah. you know? Oh, 
invisible quotes. Well, the thing, <laughs> again, obviously, challenges and all that. That was that's the thing that came in with the internet. Yeah, a thing that has invo- evolved. In the old days, fights was never done like that. Fights were just like you come to a man six o'clock in the morning. You knock on his door and say, "I want to fight you," and you go out and there'd be one fair play man. No one would look really, and not a few people from maybe the fair play side, the referees. Indeed, look, and that's it. And the fight was over, and you're going to have a pint. And that was the way it was. And I <laughs> you have a fight with the guy you fought, had a fight with. Yeah, yeah. Like I fought bare knuckle and I've had points with the lads afterwards, and friends of them now. Like that's the way it should be. I've no, and I'll make this very clear. I have no problem with bare knuckle fighting. In fact, I love it. It's a part of it. That is a part of our culture. That's an ancient Irish tradition that's going back hundreds and hundreds of years, bare knuckle fighting. We just kept that going. Feuding is not a part of our culture. Bare knuckle fighting is a beautiful thing. Like, I don't know, I, I think it's a lot more civilised that if you were a problem and ask them out for a fight, punch the heads off each other, go and have a pint. Or you can do what other people do in this country, non travers You have a problem with somebody, you bring them to court, you sue them for everything they have, and you just two years stressed out and out a lot of money. Is that more civilized? If that's more civilized, I don't want to be civilized. You know what I mean? I think we're evolving in the wrong direction. I think people think like it's all about evolution, evolution, and we're evolving. Well, actually, no. If you look back, like many communities across the world throughout history behind us, they had it sussed. Ancient communities had it sussed. Who loved the land and he loved people, and there was no hierarchy, yeah. and they worked for each other, and they grew food and he respected everything and uh, now we're apparently this ever, we're evolving to be better <laughs> which is completely just stupid you know it's it's yeah the, the the thing with that is it's crazy and I suppose even from my own point of view like I'd consider myself quite ignorant towards traveller culture like and I'll yeah. be open about that yeah. I will be you know and I've had I've had positive experience with travellers and I've had well actually in truth I, I've two negative experiences that I can remember and I've been guilty of it myself kind of those two negatives yeah. have kind of Allowed me to almost tear, yeah, but that's everyone. a part of the that's a part of the narrative. Yeah, the narrative you're used to, so you roll you roll with that. Exactly, but then like when I was in school, there there was two travellers in my class, two members of the travelling community in my class, and a couple in years below me. Like, um, one of the girls dropped out in fifth year. The other girl went on to do her leaving cert. But like that, the only reason that we even knew there were travellers is because they were open about the culture and that kind of thing. Yeah. Otherwise, you never would have known. Like, yeah. So it is uh, the narrative that you, you've referred to was definitely something that. I probably never thought of properly myself, like because I said I, I am ignorant and I'm open mm. to it, or I'll admit that. But it's definitely something that I think has to be talked about more and more, and this kind of thing of chipping away at it and knocking down the wall to kind of say like, look, talk about it, just yeah. get out in the open, talk about it. And as I said, it's integrate, not assimilate. That's yeah. the way to do it. Like a hundred percent. But I think people people have to be conscious that there are serious tools at play here. The media is yeah. a serious tool, and it's now more important than ever. Like, I mean, that's why propaganda, I mean, whether it's fucking Palestinian, Israeli sort of propaganda or whatever, all across the world, American propaganda, and now it's more powerful than it's ever been because of the media and the internet and everything is about the media now and how we yeah. say things. So it's such a, such a powerful, powerful tool that we live under this bubble a lot of times without even realizing it. Like, I've often, I've often said some mad shit about some conflict in the world and then I had to check myself Go, what the fuck? How do you know that? And then I get fucking. I'm, I'm realizing I fucking heard it in Sky News, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah. That, it's really fucking mind control, man. Mm-hmm. And I remember a couple of years ago the Gaza, uh, the conflict in Gaza. Um, I was covering that whole thing. I was looking at that whole thing, and I was just, you know, I'd be very much for the plight of the Palestinian people. And I remember on RT News. Uh, and I'm always slating RT and they're supporting me all the way, but I don't give a fuck because they, they do a bad job. But like, they're just totally biased and they won't allow for a fair election or a fair fucking political coverage. But I seen like they looked at 
you looked at the, the conflict and it was like 10 seconds of a clip and it was very sort of neutral. They kept it very sort of neutral. And they're firing these missiles. These started first, but obviously they're firing bigger ones back. But, you know, they shouldn't be firing them in the first place and kind of keeping the neutral. A little bit Israeli. And I was, just like, I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool, whatever. And then next next clip was like a f- like three or four minute coverage of a traveller bare knuckle fight that broke out in a bit of a feud. And the worst injury anybody sustained was a cut above the eye. And I said, Jesus Christ. Do you need to get the priorities right? Like, surely, bit the God, what's happening to the Palestinian people in Gaza is a lot more important than one traveller getting a cut above the eye in yeah. the Midlands somewhere. Who yeah. give in a bog? Yeah. Who gives a flying fuck? So that's the bubble we're living in, and it's very hard to get away from that. That's normality, but you have to challenge yeah. yourself. You have to be conscious of it first, you know. No, absolutely, yeah. In terms of um, political um, kind of support for the traveller community. Yeah. Is the establishment parties given any support or... Okay, that's a no. <laughs> so... <laughs> Fianna Gael, man. Fianna Gael, obviously the Blue Shirt Party there. The, well, the we've, we've, I noticed on your uh, bio it has... Uh, well, on your little space on Twitter yeah. it has Enda Kenny as a racist. Yeah, random ranter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to put that in context. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, so like Enda Kenny gained massive popularity actually in the Fianna Gael party for being anti-traveller. That was a that was a big thing, part of his career that brought him uh, to to the place he was. Because in rural Ireland, if you're a politician, you have to be anti-Trump if you want to get elected. You have to be. Um, so that was a big thing, and he supported the brutal murder of John Ward, who was killed by murder. Sorry, by uh, Power Nally. Um, John Ward was a man who had a rap sheet uh, the length of my arm uh, for robberies and whatever, or burglaries or whatever he used to do, a theft, and he was caught on the land of. Of Pargnali, uh, and Pargnali caught him, shot him. Then when he shot him, he put the gun down, grabbed the stick, beat him with the stick, beat him with the stick the whole way out of the yard, then got the gun again, played with him, waited till he got over the wall out of his land, and then shot him in the back and killed him stone dead. Done a couple of years in jail from the support of Enda Kenny, who signed something and helped his, got him a reduced sentence. So that's a man, that's, he, if, if Enda Kenny were to, uh, to recognise Traveller in this day tomorrow, he would lose massive support in rural Ireland. He knows that. Uh, the Fine Gael party are very anti-Traveller. They've had many TDs uh, coming out with ridiculous stuff, like John Flannery, who was a, a TD or counsellor for them, uh, suggested that all Travellers should be tagged. Another uh, fellow sorry, back... Sorry, what? what? Should be tagged. Tagged? Oh, it's worse than that. Another, another uh, TD who said that Travellers should be put out to the Aran Islands, every single one of them, and the women should be sterilised. Uh, Phil Hogan promised his constituents that he wouldn't allow Travellers to move in. So I, remember, no, I actually remember yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah. And another TD did the exact same thing as well as that. Uh, Fianna Fáil, um, no better, sure, like Charlie High, who created the 1963 Commission report was, was Fianna Fáil I mean they're no better um, so Labour can I, can I, just because the Charlie High thing you mentioned the final solution already which yeah. obviously has Nazi connotations you hear something like final solution and instantly that's it yeah. you yeah. know what I mean or but problem then, about a human uh, yeah, they called us the itinerant problem in that like that's uh, again this is me ignorance talking I wasn't aware of any of this like, but exactly. even, even something as simple there is like Put them all out on the Ireland Islands. And sterilise the women so okay, they so die out. Yeah, uh, and draw the similarities. What did the Nazis do? They built camps. Let's yeah. put them all in camps. Yeah. This is fucking mind-blowing. How? Yeah. Like... Well, it's just, that's the reality, mate. That's, when you live as a traveller, that's the reality. And most people don't understand that's our yeah. reality. I mean, we don't have really any support except for a couple of, um, uh, Sinn Féin, 
uh, put a, uh, Sinn Féin have always supported Travers because at the core, republicanism is about inclusiveness. That's what it is at the core. Uh, so they'd be pretty contradictory uh, against their beliefs if they didn't support it. And they actually put a motion forward last year, six weeks after what happened in Carrick Mines, uh, to recognise Travers ethnicity. And that motion was rejected by the government. Um, so they're the only party that are actually doing something for Travers. Uh, and then also people for profit. Are, that they have it a, a part. I think they have it now a part of their manifesto travel ethnicity recognition. They're pure lefties, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, and a few with little independents here and there. But the majority, even Labour, like and you know, I know Labour have completely raped their beliefs inside out anyway. Yeah. But Labour should be standing for something like that, and they don't. Uh, you have a few Labour TDs within it, Aidan or Airdon, who didn't get his seat in the last election, <clears throat> but he did great work for years. He was an advocate for travel equality. Um, do you do you, do you, do you liaise with say someone like Sinn Fein or people for yeah. profit when they're putting motions forward? Yeah. Well, not when put, I haven't got the chance to do that, but I've been in contact with them about various things and how we can improve things. You know, I went to the Sinn Fein art desk the other night. I was invited by Jerry Adams, uh, and I went there. But they're only partly supporting traveller equality, which is a top of the agenda for me. And also, I'm an Irish man, and I would kind of call myself a Republican slash socialist anyway. Um, most travellers would have. Uh, Republican beliefs and believing in a united Ireland and believing in a free Ireland and that's kind of the way we we're brought up man after my own heart yeah so so <laughs> there you go I've, I've always voted Sinn Féin people for a profit are very close second and Sinn Féin actually I was I was very close to kind of what sent it over the edge where I did vote this year for them I was I was sort of um, I was sort of thinking maybe people for a profit because where Sinn Féin have stood on abortion which has been all very unclear and they never really had a position and they voted against that fetal abnormality bill which was a shocker. Uh, but then they go and they put the traveller uh, ethnicity motion forward, which was very unpopular because that's not a popular thing for any party to do. They had thousands of Republicans emailing them saying, what are you doing? Like, that's, we don't want that as part of our party. So that was a very brave thing to do. And it wasn't just about, I'm a traveller and did it for travellers. It was the fact that it was very unpopular to do when they did that. They did it, yeah. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll stick with these guys. They're good. And I voted for them and that's fine. But recently now at the Ardesh, um uh, Jerry Adams has made a clear now. They've made their, clition, their position clear on abortion. The the their pro choice, you know. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. Is there an issue within the travelling community for um, voting? Yeah. Do, do yeah. travelling Absol- absolutely do- no travellers like very small portion of travellers vote. They're not politicised, and travellers don't believe that. Travellers are s- the most cynical people ever in terms of uh, thinking of change they don't think a change is possible so they think like voting that's a settled person thing that well how will that ever help us and then also we're, we're meant to have a really small population uh, and i believe that's a part of the, i genuinely believe this is a conspiracy um because we're, we're, we're in the last uh, census i think 2011 where we're 30,000 people in the republic and 1500 up north uh, and I think the best thing a state can do when you have an agenda against the people is minimize that people, you know, let them think they're really small and you'll, you'll, be a lot, you'll handle them a lot easier uh, because I know alone from where I live up to one mile up the, up the road to another site along there alone, there's about a thousand travelers. That's just one strip in Kulak alone and that's not the all of Kulak. There's many other travelers in Kulak. Then you branch out and you go to the whole of Dublin. Then you go all across Ireland. Then you go down to Galway which is the biggest population of travelers. There was two, there's 2,000 wards in Tume in Galway alone and I'm thinking, what? There's meant to be just 30,000 of us on this whole island. So I think that's that's a little conspiracy I have anyway. Okay. And also a lot of travelers don't don't uh, fill out the the census. They just go. Ahead. I'm not not filling that out. 
you know, that's it, you want it. So we don't actually know many travellers in the country. Yeah. Uh, I suppose a challenge for me and what I want is for travellers to get more politically aware and get involved and start voting uh, because that's where you really have real power, you know. Do you think it would ever be a case that, like obviously we've seen, like, marches on the doll in terms of water protests and that, do you think th- there would ever be a case where, you know, travellers would band together and sort of say, okay, there have we, been for years, for decades. My my grandparents uh, chained herself to the doll and did like yeah. a three day hunger strike outside the doll, and it did nothing really. To be honest, um, they got a bit of funding for some organisations back in the day, but traveller funding has been cut by eighty five percent, like at over two hundred mm. million accommodation budgets. Everything you know, everything has been cut to bits. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the future is probably bleak, but I'm not going to let that get me down anyway. You know, after your after your acting career do you see yourself as a politician I was asked that question recently and I said I said I wouldn't rule it out only because I wouldn't rule it out I've no really desire to be a politician if I were going in that route I'd be more of an activist than you know like Sinn Féin call herself activists rather than politicians uh, and I'm not saying I'd be Sinn Féin or whatever but I'm saying I'd be looking at more like that politician is such a fucking dirty word to me and they're just scum of the earth, the vast majority of them, in every country. Uh, and I only really fucking said that to kind of, why not? Why not? I travel on a doll? Why not? Why not? Yeah, I'd like to go in there and fuck shit up a bit and make it <laughs> make it tricky for them, you know? I, <laughs> yeah, would, yeah. I would like that, actually, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it's a different life, you know? And I've chose acting, and the only reason why I sort of a spotlight in spotlight now to talk about these issues is because of acting acting got me there and acting is my thing I don't, I don't pretend there's actors out there pretend that they act because they're fucking trying to save the world And I don't you know what I mean I act for me it's my selfish thing I love it the feeling I get fuck everybody else mm. do you know what I mean so I'd never be able to give it up it is my first passion obviously more important than anything is, is the equality for my people of course but as a profession acting is what it's always going to be and filmmaking and writing and whatever you know mm. brilliant um, just going back to I just had a comment uh, um, when you were about the job you know your grandmother said just don't let don't tell them you're a traveller mm. I remember I had when I was living in Australia I had instances where I have um, were you in Australia? yeah yeah you've I've never s- talked said, about I've that before I've, I've talked about it a few times when yeah. I lived that way have you? here's a nice place <laughs> <laughs> um, but when I was looking for work I was debating whether to leave, say, member of the Irish Wheelchair Association, leave that on the CV or leave it off it. And Mm. I did, for three or four applications, I left it off it. And I I got callbacks. And for three or four, I left it on. And I didn't get callbacks. And the one I got a callback for, where I didn't have it on, was like a big building with like, 12 flights of steps. And I was like, here lads, I can't do this. (laughs) Can't do this interview, you know. It's it's just mad. It's just a comment they had where there is inequality in all walks of 100%. life. No pun intended. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, we. I mean, around the world, we've been last year or so. We've been looking like the most liberal, progressive country in the world because of a marriage refer- referendum. Mm. It couldn't be more further from the truth. It's yeah. bullshit. I mean, we have got. A, and I'm like, I'm not here saying travers are the only unequal people in society. Far from it, man. No one, no one really is equal. And I mean, from the elites even because they're not. The elites are not obviously going to be equal to working class people. No one is equal. There's no mm. equality in this country whatsoever. Mm. And just because we pass uh, the marriage equality referendum doesn't. I mean they're fucking equal homophobia just stops the next day no, no yeah. one's homophobic but you're going fuck off yeah. people just got a bit of fucking sense and went sure sure they should fucking be allowed to get married it's none of my business yeah. like yeah. The, the fact that I went down to referendum in the first place shows how fucking unequal we are like I I had the right 
to decide a gay person's life and his destiny or her destiny. Mm-hmm. I had the right. Oh, yeah, but no, they're not going to get married. I had that right. That's fucking ridiculous. They should never go down to referendums when it comes to equality. Never. That was the biggest mistake of it all. But obviously, the big fucking great feeling we all get afterwards that we're all really liberal and progressive and the whole country thinks we're not this ultra-conservative Catholic country anymore. And we may not be this Catholic country anymore, but we still have that conservatism, conservatism mm-hmm. that's, you know, started with fucking... Uh, Amy de Valera, you know, when he just gave the church the power, that's ingrained in us. Whether we still go to church or not, that's ingrained in us. It's not going to leave for many generations, I don't think. Yeah. What was it, uh, George Orwell, Animal Farm? All animals are equal, just some are more equal than other. That's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. it. Um, look, John, we're, we're just out of time, man. I'm actually really, I'm raging as well, because I've been loving this chat, man. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Like. It's been dead. Yeah. man. But uh, look, before we let you go anyway, because uh, as you said, you're mad busy and you've got a few things coming out and all that. What does the future, or what projects have you got in terms of tangible that, like we can say, yeah, definitely go see this, or have you got that? And that besides the documentaries you mentioned, obviously going to America sounds like the crack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, man, that's going to be amazing because we're we're going. Obviously, we're going to look at Muslims on the border, and obviously, there's a huge wave of Islamophobia going across press? the whole world. Donald Trump and all. Not nailed down yet, but we're going to go different. New Orleans has been thrown around there, Oklahoma for the Native Americans. Yeah, yeah. Donald Trump, all the activity of that, and the sort of angle will be the the presidential election going on right now. I've been obsessing about it all the time, and have been the biggest Bernie Sanders supporter. But it looks like he's gone anyway. Let's yeah, about it that. Like it's very sad, isn't it? It's it was a big sad, Bernie yeah. Sanders supporter. Fight the big machine, yeah. you know. The fact that he got that far fighting Fox News and CNN and yeah. NBC and, and Clint, the Clinton family, like the Clinton, they've raised one point five million together to two of them from from money from themselves and campaigns. They're the biggest political family ever. So and they're political the political machine, fact, yeah. The fact yeah. that he got that far was unbelievable, and his message has got that far. And that message is not going to end now. Yeah. You know what I mean? That message is still out there, so we can still hold for it. Uh, with the documentary, we're going to go to Native American people as well, which is a Big one for me because there's a lot of similarities in our cultures. Uh, huge. And then also we're going to go look at Latinos there and that's again the Trump kind of angle. Yeah. And then uh, the Black Lives Matter movement with stuff that happened in Ferguson and these black kids getting Absolutely. shot there. Brilliant. Dead and no that one shit. brilliant. So we're looking at that and then September I'm doing a film called Float Like a Butterfly which is Probably going to be the last time I play a traveller because I feel like I kind of owe it to travellers to play some play a traveller that is not uh, a stereotype or you yeah. know something really showing travellers on a bad light. And Love Aid was grand because I was justified because everybody around me were settled people. They were even worse, so that's how I justified <laughs> it. But uh, it's 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 the best script I ever read. It's set in nineteen seventy two. Uh, and it's amazing and I can't wait to do that and then after that I'm just going to fucking take a rest man and drink to the end of the year <laughs> what was the one last thing this always happens to me when yeah, I think of other things to say um, what was it, what was the feeling like reading the proclamation on the recent Damien Dempsey gig <sighs> fuck man that was oh man yeah. there was a good friend of mine he asked me to do it and I said yeah I definitely want to do it but I was terrified as well you know but I walked out man and I've always been in that crowd I've been there for the last five years in Vicar Street and went to all these gigs you know Street, we, we, we've asked him on the show. You've asked him, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll say it to myself. Love it. I'll tell him. I'll tell you. You'll have the crack and all. He'll be grand with you. But uh, I ended up going on the stage, and it's like the energy that hit me was like, "What the fuck?" It was unbelievable. Like oh, yeah. I was gobsmacked. And then I said a few words, and 
was like it was amazing the reaction they were giving me because a lot of most obviously love hair fans a lot of them must see I am traveler and the proclamation and equality and demo because everybody goes to demos are fucking hippies anyway like yourself <laughs> you know all good people you know so I read it out and the reaction was amazing right and the weirdest thing happened man I shit you not I wasn't tripping. Uh, I went back and I went up in the balcony and I kind of I kind of got swarmed with loads of selfies and all that and look I've no problem giving, doing selfies and all that but it gets to the point where you're like doing 200 in a night and you're trying to enjoy yourself and you don't want to be the cunt to ever say no to it I've never said no except for one time when a cunt was being really rude to me uh, but I didn't want I, you don't want to be saying no you don't, because every person that comes to you is the first time they ask you do you know what I mean so you have to understand yeah. that but I wanted to just escape because it, it almost ruined the gig and I had to go I said I'm going to go out but I left me two friends there without realising so I came back and I went to the balcony and they were all still singing love yourself today and yeah. it's the best part of the gig at the end you know yeah. and one fella pointed up at me and he started singing it and the whole crowd started singing to me love yourself today and all my friends were there like what the fuck and then people were t- t- tweeting me and all afterwards about it like saying what the fuck happened something just happened that was magic and they were all doing it to me and I put my hands out and I started singing it for about 60 seconds and then one portion of the crowd started going John fucking Connors and I went what the fuck I said am I tripping there and I, it just became too intense and I just took off running because it was too much so I know what it's like to be Damon Dempsey for uh, for time you know but actually recently I read it there uh, last Saturday was it Saturday last Saturday I read one of the original proclamations that a fella bought for for a lot of money I don't think I'm allowed to say a lot of money and he donated to the Glass Nevin uh, Museum and Damo sang James Colney at it, uh, with Sean um uh, Sean McKeown who did the pipes he's Piper and I read the proclamation the full proclamation out and that was amazing too seeing one of the originals and all you know great yeah. started the day off lovely as well so just the proudest man ever deadly that. That, was a, that, that was a great bit <laughs> yeah, to end on yeah, actually that's yeah. a great story could feel it could feel good uh, factoring in that as well yeah. love yourself today it's the best message ever it that's is it, definitely yeah, so Daniel's a legend legend John, look man, really, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Absolutely enjoyed that. It's oh, been I a pleasure. It. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Thank man. You. So that's it then. That's chapter 43 in the books. Uh, huge thanks to John Connors. Really enjoyed that. Before we go, I have to also say a big thanks to uh, Dylan and the guys out in Everest Music out in Bray, uh, the music shop out there. They look after us with a bit of gear here and there for the podcast, a bit of equipment. And they haven't steered us wrong yet. So if you're looking for anything, uh, if you're uh, the musically inclined type, guitar playing, drum playing, piano playing, singing, that sort of gear, anything, anything music related, you need Everest Music out in Bray. Give them a shout. They're great lads out there. Tell Dylan we sent you. Um, also check out FitzpatrickCastle.com. They love us and we love them and uh, we wouldn't be able to do this without them. So that's great. But that's it. Chapter 43. Done and dusted. If you're in Galway, this Sunday, uh, you might see a very hungover Graham Merrigan, who's on a stag do for Mikey Duffy, who is getting married soon. Fair play to you, Mikey. So if you see Graham, be sure to make lots of loud noises and rub his beard while he's hungover. He'll love that. That's it for most this week. I'm at Dan John Murray. He's at Merrigan Mania. We're at WTS Pod. You can check everything out on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Podbean, on Podcast Addict, anywhere and everywhere there is podcast. Just search WTS Pod and we will be there. And so until next week, God bless.